Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I finish up answering questions asked by our awesome Patreon supporters in this two-and-a-half-hour episode. Topics discussed today include our picks for Marvel teams on DC Books, the about face of Brian Michael Bendis that might make some of our picks come true, Measuring Valiant by Pitch and by Hook, What Will Happen to Our Digital Comics, and Mucho Mucho Mas. Comments on this episode are available at WaitWhatPodcast.com. Send us your questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, hello. Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm okay, I guess. How about yourself? I am I'm actually kind of exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, dear listeners... Uh, let this be known that we're recording this podcast not on a Saturday Saturday like we normally record a podcast on Saturday, but on a Thursday. And I've just finished a full day of work, and Jeff has as well. And you seem remarkably lucid and, and alert, and I feel punchy as hell. <laughs> also, super grumpy. Oh, which good. Which makes me feel very nervous, because we've already had people tell me that I was super dickish last episodes and i didn't even think so and i was like oh god i'm just gonna be a monster this time so hey sorry for being a dick last week i wasn't even i literally was not aware i was being such a dick but we have now had multiple people tell me i was so well i you know their 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 reading of it yes and secondly sorry for being more of a dick this episode because i genuinely am very grumpy right now oh my Oh my, Graham McMillan. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Definitely last week. We got, we got some hardball questions. Uh, there was, of course, there was our big dispute about, uh, about Tom King. And, uh, honestly, I felt it's a funny thing. I didn't even feel that, that was like a big dispute. And so many people have since then been like, Oh God, are you two going to break up? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, because I think, I think, I think it was, for me, it felt substantial because, as you know, it's been sort of a reoccurring topic. And I think that was about as close as I was going to get to actually unpacking it, I think, as, as much as we could. I mean, I felt like I continued to, to poke you with little jibes after the fact, which you, which you totally laughed off. So I thought, I thought you were, Fine, if you were really grumpy, ladies and gentlemen, for people who haven't fought with Graham McMillan, um, he's a monster. He's he's just uh, you'll know when you hear him like break a chair over his knee uh, that that he's a Jeff. Here's here's the thing. Everyone who knows me knows that I don't do angry. I just do quiet resentment. Oh yes, I know, and it is true. And you know what? <laughs> As someone, like I, really, I really don't do angry. It's when I get super quiet. That's when you should be concerned. Oh, believe me, believe me. There was a point. Which is this a real week. problem. And yeah. I, this is a great illustration of this today. Um, to a, another problem I have, which is I get so busy I don't respond. To yes. People. See, that's the problem, <laughs> Graham. When because those two I, happen. I, I had a phone call today with a publicist of all things that. Uh, I, ironically, I answered because I thought it was someone else. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh my god, I'm talking to you. I thought you hated me. <laughs> and I was like, what? And they're like, you, you never respond to my emails. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I, I just don't have time. They're like, I thought you hated me. And I was like, oh, that's right. 
Oh, I, my, my anger and my busy look exactly the they same. They do. They totally do. Earlier this week, I was like, I think Graham's pissed at me, or maybe he's super busy. I can't tell, but I'm thinking pissed. I, being, I started pissed and ended up super busy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For those like, of us keeping track. It literally went between the two. <laughs> well, yes. Yes, everyone. So... <laughs> So there you yeah, have it. That's the real problem, people. Yeah. Uh, my angry and my busy look exactly the exactly same. Exactly the same. And it's tough because Graham is almost always busy. So you either make a huge mistake uh, one way or the other when it's not what you think it is. So, yeah. But yeah, if I sound angry, chances are I'm either not or I'm putting it on. Okay. I, th- I think that's a. I think that's a good key, right? right. I honestly can't think of any time where I've like I've sounded like. But apparently, I'm a dick. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I, I, I honestly, utterly was unaware I was being such a dick last episode. And Je- Jeff, genuinely, I want to apologize. Oh, thank I you. I also ha- yeah. also have to tell you, <laughs> uh, as I was wolfing down food before we recorded tonight. Yes. For no reason whatsoever, I imagined you and me as uh, Pinky in the Brain. <laughs> And I realized that immediately I went to myself as Pinky. Oh, really? Immediately. Oh, interesting. Uh, so therefore, you're the one who's trying to take over the world. <laughs> and I'm the bumbling idiot who messes things up. And so I guess I feel like I need to apologize for that as well. No, no. So sorry for being a dick. Uh, sorry for... You're, you're kind of like, for, sorry for being both Pinky and the brain is kind of what you're saying. I guess. Yeah, okay, <laughs> Sorry for everything. <laughs> Graham, Graham, my goodness. Normally, this is the sort of stuff that people have to put up from me. And, you know, uh, and... No, I'm telling you, getting, getting emails and, and, and messages this week that were basically like, you were really harsh on Jeff. <laughs> I was like, oh, was I? Oh, God, I really didn't think so. Oh, no, I'm a monster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like I said, I genuinely have been Far more curmudgeonly and grumpy this week. Right, right. Uh, and so I, I, I'm, I'm hyper aware of it. I'm like, listen, if you guys thought that was bad on Saturday, that's like, right. my grump levels are like 300% that. Get a, get a load of these crab apples. Yeah, well, right? we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. No. For, for what it's worth, I thought that it actually resulted in a really, really good conversation. I was really glad that we kind of got things unpacked to that level. And I don't think that we would have, if you hadn't sort of kept um, challenging... Being a dick. Yeah. <laughs> if you hadn't been such a monster chode. Right. That, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's what we've discovered. Um, I'm a hard taskmaster. Indeed who, you are. Who, who, like, I don't know, interrogated you into it? I have no idea where this is going. I, but my... basically, uh, yeah, I'm terrible. I'm a monster. Okay. <laughs> I'm also a mouse. I'm monster mouse. You're monster mouse. Oh my god, that really kind of does sound like one of the, that should have been a Harvey comic in the 60s. Right? Yeah, yeah, I totally would have been. Uh, it's it's like a property of Waybot, everyone. <laughs> That's right. None of you bastards can touch it. Don't get Not it. only are we, are Jeff and I not splitting up, but we're fucking launching a publishing empire based on monster mouse. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. He's like, he's like a cute little, you know, a, a 1950s cute cartoon mouse, mm-hmm. but he also looks like Frankenstein. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
So he's sort of sweet and innocuous, but maybe we, we work that misunderstood monster kind of angle sort of thing. And then we also get like his sort of, uh, menagerie of creepy, but adorable buddies who, you know, and that they sort of have adventures in being misunderstood. Again, I'm really working from the Harvey comics template here. I literally but... went to Ghost Dog. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a Jim Jarmusch film? Yeah, it is a Jim Jarmusch film, which makes it all the more stealable, I gotta tell you. Like, we just gotta run through his entire thing, and just everything, it's like, oh yeah, you know, ghost dog, that's great. Unfortunately, I can't tie in the, I don't think he does any other monster animal type movies. I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh, the limits of control, a, right, exactly. uh. The first issue, coffee and cigarettes. <laughs> Yeah, that would be good. That actually would be great. This would be terrific. We managed to convince Jim Jarmusch to make, let us make a comic line based on all of his movies, but like, they're just like a, an adorable all ages comics. Exactly. He's like, what the fuck you guys? <laughs> Come on! You told this me you really were going to at all! Exactly. Like it's... many people of my generation, my definition of comics sort of ended around 1991 <laughs> and was formed by like 1987. <laughs> <laughs> Like, those four years, though, I thought I was getting, like, a really early Vertigo comic. <laughs> Where's Bill Sienkiewicz when you need him? And we'll be like, but we've made a cute little adorable mouse. Yeah. And Ghost Dog. <laughs> ghost Dog. And, God, I'm just, I am tired because my puns are, are failing me. I'm like, down by La... <gasps> oh, my God, they're lawyers. They're animal lawyers. <laughs> That would be great. We could, we could call, they're, they're like a pair Monster of adorable. Attorney, attorney at law. Monster mouse. Okay, okay. I, I think you might be over guilting the lily maybe a little bit there. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting my monster back out. No chance. <laughs> no. I insist he's an attorney or this partnership's dissolved. Exactly. We are splitting up after all. <laughs> over uh-huh. monster mouse. <laughs> Jeff, I have a question about the direction of this podcast. Yes. It's specifically this episode, not like the entire thing. Okay. Do we just respond to the other questions, or do we talk about the big news of the week? Uh, you know what? Let's fold the big news of the week into one into of the, the questions. questions that, yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, that particular question where, listeners, we'll get to this later, but when the big news of the week broke... Jeff sent an email that he was really, really pissed off because he had jokes along that line prepared for the answer for one of the upcoming questions. And we would have looked, it just would have looked so prescient and instead kind of like a dork. Um, well, I think, uh, yes, we do the questions. Uh, I don't know if you want to throw in the recent question that was just emailed to us as an, as a bonus. I guess we'll have to see how far we get through this. And then, come on, we already have like seven ahead of us. Do you think we're going to get through all seven? Actually, let's try and get through all seven. I I love the idea that this is like the Zeno's Paradox, uh, podcast. Like we had 14, we got through seven. Tonight we're getting through three. Next episode, one and a half. The next one, it's a three-hour episode where we actually don't make it to the end of the question. So, <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to start. Tim Riffenberg. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks for doing the question thing again. And again, Tim. <laughs> question one. Is there any character company crossover you would like to see and who, and who would write and draw it? 
did we not literally just answer this question? Did someone else not ask this question last time? Ah, as in la- it, yeah, the the company crossover. Oh yeah, I- yeah, 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 yeah. You know, honestly, I took this one was a little bit easier because it was a character company crossover. Like the one we talked about was about universes, like yes, universes yes. and lines. Yes. So this one's very easy. You can just nail it down to a couple of characters. Uh, do you have character crossovers you'd like to see? Well, uh, yeah, the one that I think I wanted to see, and of course I, I, I told Graham and Matt Maxwell about this, and I think they went on to make fun of me, but I was A, serious, and B, um... We've already established I'm a monster. Would so. want to write it. <laughs> of course. Exactly. Well, this is it. You teamed up with other notorious mo- internet monster Matt Maxwell to, to savage me, but I would love to do a crossover of Judge Dredd on the Planet of the Apes. You, no, we didn't make fun of you that, about that at all. We thought that was a great idea. Did you? I couldn't tell. Yeah, you guys no, kept, no, uh... no, we, no, we genuinely were talking about how we thought that was a great idea. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe it was you guys both kept yelling over me. Cause I was like, yeah, lawmaker. And you guys were like, oh god, wasn't that the gun? No, we'd have to put the monkey in. Put the ape in the hat. You gotta get the ape in the dread hat. You know, and it was, et cetera, et cetera. But it's true. It, it, I will take it as excitement and not monstrosity then. So, oh no, we were, we were both 100% into that idea. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally, totally into it. It would be, uh, yeah, Judge, Judge Dredd on the Planet of the Apes and it would be called Lawgivers and, uh, it would be. I also went for a 2000 AD. Did you? I want Zombo Archie. Oh my god. <laughs> that would be great. Oh my god. That would be, I mean, Zombo anything would be fabulous, but I think but Zombo Archie, Archie is particular, genius. right? Yeah. My other was, my other was also Zombo, which was Zombo and, uh, Marvel 2 and 1, like 1970s Marvel 2 and 1. Oh yeah. Yeah. That would, that would be, that would be pretty wonderful because as we know, um, Al Ewing can, can mock some vintage Marvel dialogue like nobody's business. So that would right? be. Right. And, and there's something about the, that specific era of thing. Yes. That you could tell that he would like make fun of Zombo, but also there'd be a moment where they would, like he would have a, like an emotional connection to Zombo. Right. And it'd end up with Ben being like, he's not such a bad guy. Right. Right. Exactly. And of course the next panel would be like Zombo with his ha- you know, having eaten half of Reed Richards head or something. So. Yeah. yeah. And, and obviously if he says, who would you like to see write and draw? It would have to be Al Ewing and Henry Flynn for me. Cause they do Zombo. Right. Exactly. Like that's him. Yeah. What about you? Who would, who would write and draw Judge Dread Planet of the Apes? Oh man, I don't know. You know, cause I gotta say, um, I think, I think there have been some really good Dread artists on there that, you know, like I'm sort of, I'm, I, I don't know. Part of me is kind of like, Carlos Escara, you know, is like kind of a I'd classic. Love to see Carlos Escara's uh, Planet of the Apes. I would love to see exactly. I'd love to see his Planet of the Apes. He he would have the grit, but he'd also have like the underlying architecture. The flip side of it, and I don't necessarily know. I assume that he could pull both off, but you know, for me, like Mike Plug is like one of the definitive Planet of the Apes comic artists. So I think he could actually really do an an excellent. Judge Dredd, you know, as well. So, um, you know, cause weirdly enough, now that I think about it, there's kind of that weird Plug started off as an assistant to Eisner, you know, and there's something kind of Eisner-ish about Dredd sometimes. I, yeah. 
I think I've said this in the past in this podcast, but Eisner and Dredd share a, like a really strong DNA for me mm. in that they are simultaneously characters who can carry the strip. Right. But also can be background characters for the life of the city stories. Exactly. Right. Right. And there's also kind of that, um, like a spirit, a spirit dread story would be great as well. Actually, yeah. Now that we're talking about it, I would love to see a spirit dread story. I think that would be that would be so insane. I kind of don't know who could pull it off in yeah, a way. Yeah, but well, that again, could be amazing. Kind of, I'd love to see Wagner try it. Yeah, you know, honestly, there is that thing of I'd I'd kind of like to see Wagner. I would love to see Wagner come back and do some DC stuff. You know. Yeah. After yeah. all this time, because I feel like he was such a, um, like surprisingly influential, um, cornerstone of 90s DC, like classic 90s DC. And knowing really? that he's still more has, than Alan Grant. I, uh, no, maybe Grant. I get, I, t- I take it back. I guess Grant is stronger than, than Wagner. So, but. But I'd still like to do them. I'd, even though I'm obviously confusing one with the other, I still think well, that both. Of them I mean, are... they're very. It's not fair to say they're very similar writers, but at the same time, they work together so much that like their DNA is in each other. Well, see, I think that's it. So it sort of you know? gets me confused a bit. But yeah, I would love to see them. I'd love to each see them come back and take a couple of swings at at DC now. Um, in part, I guess, particularly for me, I guess what, you know, I, is, did Grant just leave comics? I have not really. No, he's, he's been doing, he's doing the occasional stuff for 2000 AD, mm. uh, or really the magazine. Mm. Okay. Um, and he's been doing a bunch of independent stuff as well. Mm. Okay. But like, when I say independent, I mean like, you know, you can get it at the right comic mart in Glasgow. <laughs> like, like hyper independent stuff. Right, right. Well, because uh, he... The, but, uh, to the best of my knowledge, and I might be passing on bad info here, uh, he's more or less retired because I believe he's in really bad health. Oh, is that why? Okay. Yeah. I, I actually just thought that he made so much money during the 90s writing for DC and then just more or less kept a hold of it and lived, you know, in a neck of the UK where he could get by forever on it, even, even with a, a savage exchange rate. I mean, Maybe, but it, it definitely I was talking to shit someone at San Diego mm-hmm. and they, they brought up that he was, um, he wasn't in the best of health. Ook. Oh, interesting. Uh, but he still, like, he still does occasional stuff for, for the magazine. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I, I, I would, I would like to, I should check that out. Um, uh, mostly, mostly Judge Anderson stuff. Oh, of course. Because like Judge Anderson is his dread, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like he's really he's really taken ownership of Anderson in a way that that Wagner has taken ownership of dread. In fact, right. if not more so, because I think Grant has written, you know, at least ninety percent of Anderson's solo stories. Right, right, that makes sense. Well, and even some of the stuff that I remember reading from the magazine, God, a couple of years ago, that was him. I was like, yeah. It, it's okay. I, 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 again, I'd like to see him take another crack at it. I think, I think Wagner's the one who really, this stuff that he's been doing on Dread is kind of so amazing. Um, yeah. I, I'm really taking advantage of the fact that he's been doing it for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Wagner plays the long game in a way that no other writer in comics has been able to play the long game. Right, right, exactly. You know, by having a story that takes place in real time Mm -hmm. and having written it for four decades. Yeah, so part of me is kind of greedy. Part of me is like, I mean, I don't know why that that means that he would be awesome to step back in on DC stuff, but part of me is at the same time kind of like, yeah, let him... Let him, let him in there. Jesus, the guy still has chops, clearly, you know? So. Uh, Tim's second question is great, and I love it. <laughs> Are you, I'm sorry you started the FF read through. I enjoy listening to your thoughts, but you sometimes seem like you're struggling through the books. Oh, man. Uh, I'm not, but I also have to admit, I'm dreading the Tom DeFalco issues. <laughs> really seriously, because there's so many of them, like it's like yeah. 60 issues. Yeah. And they're, like that's work. They're yeah. they're not fun books. Yeah, and they're not even bad in the fun to make fun of way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I I am really kind of dreading those issues. It's but really, otherwise, I, I I'm not sorry we started it. You know, it's I, I'm definitely I'm definitely not because I feel like what throws people off is is um I feel like there's times where one of us likes something more than the other um. Uh, but I actually do enjoy that, it when we're both really suffering together. What's that? Well, but also, I like it when one of us likes something more than the other. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, it sort of it makes for a little bit of a better balance, I guess. You know, in the sense of there's some frisson. Uh, I think this that maybe the episodes where we're both suffering together really stand out because it's so comical. Um, and I think ultimately, despite all the, you know, this is kind of a fine summary about, I guess, superhero comics overall, is... I'm really, it's easy for me to overlook the bad stuff because I don't think I would have read all of the Lee Kirby issues of FF if we hadn't done the Baxter building. And I'm really glad that we did. I'm also shocked by how much of, when we did read them, how much of it was, um, I had read a lot more thanks to scattered issues of right? reprint comic. That's the part that stunned me. It was kind of it, like... Also, I gotta be honest, I love the idea of like having, when we're done, having read the entire run of the book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? There's some, there's something great about that. I, along similar lines, I was surprised by quite how much of Burden I had already read. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of knew I had read it all, but mm-hmm. I always thought that I hadn't really. Mm-hmm. Right. You no, know, you're like, I, sure, but I'm sure I missed some stuff out. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh no, I really have honestly read all of these issues before. Mm-hmm. This is nuts. Yeah, that's, you that's know? pretty amazing. Uh, so no, I, I, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm still really enjoying the Baxter building. <laughs> but I, um, dreading getting past the silence. Yeah, I gotta admit, I am fascinated, cause I did, did have someone write me who was like, yeah, you know, you're, you, once you get past Simonson, it's just a fucking wasteland. And yeah, I'm, it really is. So, and, and and everything is so um like it's so long and drawn out that it's not even like we can spend a lot of time going. Can you even believe that, that this plot? Because it's like, sure, they reveal you know Alicia's a scroll over like a year. Right. Right. Wow. Which and it's just like oh shit, and then it just becomes. I mean, it really does become a mess. It might end up being. That we finish it super early because we're like 
Jeff, just let's just read like twenty issues right. and try and get us exactly. over. Exactly. Let's just possible. get it over with. Yeah, I can see that. I I, I can definitely see that because that was one of the things that we had talked about being able to expand and dilate. You know, the the reading yeah. list depending. So well, I mean, remember doing like Lee and Kirby and and like the highlights of it, and it was like let's do four issues. It was great. Yeah, it was just kind of like <laughs> savory. Let's, let's like let's do as little as possible. Let's look at <laughs> one panel and issue four seven. <laughs> but yeah, by the end of it, I think we're going to be like let's do fucking sixty comics. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Probably. I think the thing that is interesting to me about Baxter Building is kind of that idea that you know we I think we had that one conclusion that we reached a couple of episodes ago, which was a little bit of the, the, like the FF were, is just such a hard book to make work. You know, it just is not when you, when we're past issue 300 and you're looking at that many issues and the batting average at at least that far out is not that great, you know. It's you're it, like you're like this is not this is not an easy book to do. It really isn't more than any any other comic that. And who knows? Maybe at some point, you know, years from now, when you know we're doing Thororama or whatever, we'll you know we'll <laughs> really be like, oh Jesus! But for now, it it is the it's such a it's such a difficult. Um, it's such a difficult book to get right and such a hard book to get wrong and and just seems so yeah it's so hard not to turn into a you know it, it, it if you make it too different it it doesn't work and if you make it too derivative it doesn't work and yeah it's just it's just crazy so um yeah so here's the big let's, one, huh? Yes, let's do Ethan Johnson. And as the moves Roy Woods once put it, cast your mind back. To, I was going to say, ten, I was going to really do the, the lyrics, cast your mind back 10 years to the girl who sat next to be at school. But no, cast your mind back just a few days yeah. to when Jeff initially answered this question, not knowing what we all know now. That's right. Mark Miller had a column in this in CBR 15 years ago, but it's evergreen. You'll see. I love that. You'll see. <laughs> there are two variations. I don't care which one you answer. I'm going to go through both uh, just because it makes sense. Marvel buys DC and moves existing Marvel creative teams intact to take over DC properties. Pair creative teams with books. I'll allow recent iconic teams because if you don't put Hickman and Opeña on uh, Legion superheroes, you're crazy pants. I wouldn't. Sorry for being crazy pants. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Oh no, I, Legion of Superheroes is Ryan North and Erica Henderson. That's that that simple. Same scenario, but no DC. Just shuffle existing intact creative teams onto other properties, like when Burnham Mantlo swapped Alpha Flight and Hulk. Jeff, you put a lot of thought into this and you made a list. You checked it twice. I you did. You realized that Bendos was naughty and nice. Yes. And then this week he had to go and fucking ruin it all. Yes. Like, with DC, but let's do your list that you wrote before that happened. I I I will, but I have to say, I got to admit, part of me was at a. I didn't. I did uh, cheat, Ryan, and I apologize in that I broke uh, Ethan in that I broke up creative teams in many cases 
because because I was just like, that these days at Marvel, there's no really consistent. Well, like, oh, that's not true. Thing. There is, but not that many because yeah. you have writers and artists scoot around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Okay, so my my list is I'm going to run down them, and I'm very it'll be interesting to listen to Graham. Just like this is where nope. Graham is nope. super grumpy. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, in no particular order other than how I thought of them, uh, Al Ewing and Barry Kitson on JLA, Al Ewing and Elsa Sheridier on The Flash, uh, she's the, the, the wasp artist, Al Ewing yes. and John Cassidy on Forever People. Jeff, uh, let me stop you here. Is Al Ewing writing all of the books? No, 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 no. I, ca- I, ca- okay. I capped it at three. But there are some – I did think about this, and I'm like, part of it felt like cheating. And then I'm like, hey, you know what? Some of these guys write two or three books you yeah, know, for yeah. Marvel. I mean, I, Al Ewing was writing three books for a while. Exactly. Um, my my big joke was Dan Slott turned Spider-Man into Batman. Maybe if he wrote Batman, he'd turn him into Spider-Man. Boom, boom. So are you are you keeping Stuart Eminem with him in that? Uh, no, I actually broke Stuart Eminem into something else. Although I forget, is Eminem actually doing two books? Is he doing Star no. Wars and Spider Man? He's not been doing Star Wars for ages. He's oh, been doing Spider Man for like a year, I think. Okay, I knew he'd been doing Spider Man for a while, but I got confused on Star Wars because the fact is, I haven't read so many of these books. I basically jumped over to Marvel Unlimited. And <laughs> You're like, what were people doing six months ago? Exactly. So people are kind of like, that's not even appropriate. Uh, so yeah, I would probably give slot something like Batman Incorporated to even reinforce the whole Spider-Man Batman idea. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would give slot and Sanford green angel in the ape. Um, oh, that would be really interesting. I'd yeah. really like to see that. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Chip Zdarsky and Leonardo Romero doing ambush bug year done. And I have to admit, I'm, I'm so appalled. I actually wrote year none thinking that it was my own joke before realizing that that was actually what the Dan DiDio revival called it. So it was, it was, very was it really? Yeah, it really was. It was ambush oh, bug year none. Yeah. Uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates and Brian Steelfreeze doing Superman. Um, Mark Wade and Chris Samney on action. Uh, Jason Aaron and Goran Parlov doing uh, Jonah Hex. Uh, and then I was thinking about Aaron doing um, a Batman title, maybe. Uh, I'm going to oh, skip... I, see. I, I put Aaron and Russell Dodderman. Uh, I take them straight from Thor and put them on Wonder Woman. Oh, see, that's nice, because I did actually have the, um, like, where am I going to throw the, where, who, who do I put on Wonder Woman? Really tough thing for me to figure out. Uh, Ryan North and Erica Henderson get the coveted Brave and the Bold treatment, which means Batman and anyone. Greg Pack and Chris Samney or Stuart Immonen could take Wonder Woman. I was very confused on that. Philippe Smith, writing and drawing vibe. G. Willow Wilson and Trad Moore on Teen Titans. Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood on The Rose and the Thorn. Uh, Ryan North and Guri Huru on Lois Lane. Uh, Becky Cloonan and Oliver Olivier Coipel on Nightwing. Uh, David Walker and Robbie Rodriguez on Batman and the Outsiders. Tom Taylor and Phil Noto on Catwoman. Nick Spencer and uh, Jesus Saiz on Freedom Fighters. Chris Hastings and Daniel Lacuna on Metal Men. Mark Wade and Umberto Ramos on Impulse, uh, Roxanne Gay <laughs> and Jackson Butch Guise, uh, Roxanne Gay and Jackson Guise on Suicide Squad, Jason Aaron again oh. and Alex Maleev on John Constantine, Matthew Rosenberg and Joe Canones on Harley Quinn, uh, 
Jerry Dugan and Jim Chung on Secret Six, Jeff Lemire and Mike Del Mundo on The Question. Uh, I, I just want to interrupt for two seconds. You know that Lemire is back at DC and has been for a few months, right? Oh, see, this is it. I, I yes, because I mentioned it earlier. But and also, it's the problem Olivia of... Coipel has is at DC now. Well, actually, he's, will, not, he's I, at Netflix. Okay, he's, yeah, he's at Netflix. Netflix. Back at DC. Exactly. Well, some of these guys bounce around, but it, but again, thanks to the miracle of Marvel Unlimited, and I was doing some recent stuff. Uh, and then, oh, and also, because I, I don't know how I didn't list this, because I thought I wrote it down. Um, uh, shit. Uh, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey doing Legion of Superheroes, uh, and Jason Aaron and Chris Boccolo on Thriller. And then I was kind of like, so you can tell, I totally thought about everyone in, in ecstatic, in ways that still excite me, except for Bendis. And I was like, uh, okay, so Bendis, <laughs> I've got to put Bendis somewhere. <laughs> does Green Lantern with Mike Diodato and he does Aquaman, or maybe that's with Mike Diodato. And then he does Green Arrow and Black Canary with Dave Marquez. And then he does the other Teen Titans title with Mark Bagley. And that was kind of... you. Were, yeah, you really did not care that much about Bendis. Well, see, and that's the thing. It really is, like, the big... And that is the... For me, the thing about the big news is, on the one hand, I think that it's... I really do think that it's good that Brian Bendis is getting out of Marvel. I think it will actually hopefully sh- shake some cobwebs off of both him and uh, Marvel, in a way. But, But I also... I'm not sure that I really care who he ends up with or who he ends up doing like i made the joke on twitter like wouldn't it be great if like one of his conditions for getting hired was doing you know that they dc would have to honor a three-year run of legion of superheroes but i mean the part of that's just like i would love to see legion of superheroes and it would be great if bendis kind of was I think if that's... He had the, if he had the same success and all of a sudden was like, I love Legion of Superheroes. Yeah. Well, and I think there also is a way in which because of some of the stuff that he did with the, with the new X-Men or the, you know, the time traveling X-Men, whichever, yeah, whatever the hell. All new X-Men. Up. Thank you. Is, uh, you know, I think that, I think that also there's something about his work that reminds me of some of the, five years five years later legion work you know what i mean and that could just be the way that that the beer and bombs worked with giffen but i kind of think that giffen and bendis on legion of superheroes would actually be something that i I would i would be into reading and could be great or could just be a horrific train wreck i think it could be both yeah (laughs) in the weirdest way I've been reading, I've been reading a lot of Legion lately, Jeff, and mm-hmm. we'll get to this in a, in a later question, but I've been thinking about the end of the last Legion run, mm-hmm. which was Levitz wrote it for like three or four years, I think, mm-hmm. then it crossed over into the New 52, and the final arc started as Giffen and Levitz are back together again, mm-hmm. and Giffen is co-plotting, and you can tell Giffen is co-plotting because in all seriousness, the plotting goes to shit. Like, like, really seriously, it's like, what if we literally just kill off this character in one panel? Yeah. Um, by having a spaceship drop in her head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What if we kill off another car- character off panel? Mm-hmm. And then someone finds their bones. And you're like, this is totally given being like, I'm doing crazy ideas. Right. And it's so, uh, antithetical to, to Levitz's like, you know, I have laid these character beats down and I'm really, 
really taking this seriously. Yeah. Uh, and there's something about the idea of that mismatch. Because mm-hmm. I think Giffen really has turned into a, a writer who loves doing the, like, I've got a crazy idea! Right. And I think that would be so antithetical to to Bendis mm-hmm. that it could either be great or terrible or so terrible it's great. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, it makes sense. I mean, part of it is, and I could be wrong, I feel like, I feel like Bendis can, when he's not too rushed and too sloppy, I, I think he can write with an eye to his writers and uh, to his artists and what his artists want. And I feel like, particularly because I think that Giffen is a, such a, can be such a strong layout man when he feels like showing up. And because Bendis is, I think Bendis has a strength in the way that he paces his scripts for layouts that I think if they were both invested in it it could it could be interesting but but honestly so part of me yeah i don't i kind of just don't care about bendis which is probably why i shoveled him onto the characters that i don't necessarily care about with the idea of like yeah i'm sure he you know i kind of feel like bendis at a certain point at marvel and this is completely unfair because i stopped reading his work you know, I don't know, three years into his Avengers run or something like that. Uh, at a certain point, it sort of felt like here I, you know, he was kind of like, here I am taking my turn on the marquee characters. And, and so I just sort of assume that's kind of what he's going to do is Bendis is going to, he'll do Batman, he'll do JLA and, you know, whichever character DC's kind of thinking about having an eye toward a movie, you know, and, uh, but that's it. I just, uh, that's this, that's the sad part. In a way, part of me was like, I wish that I'd gotten this question out of my system before the news dropped, because part of me is like, I just, I, I think I'm so burnt on Bendis that I don't, I kind of don't necessarily care where he ends up, and I don't necessarily trust him. It could well be the DC, uh, that the rumors that he's getting, Substant, you know, uh, 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 that they really went out of their way to poach him and he's going to be tied in close to the DC film trust with Johns and he's going to be offered fat stacks of cash no matter what he does. Um, you know, but I, but I think unfortunately is that when it's usually with, with comic book companies, when it's like, Hey, it's fat stacks of cash time. It's kind of like, okay, you know, when can you step onto Batman? When can you step onto Justice League? Cause if we're paying you a lot of money, we want to make sure that we get the most, um, bang for a buck. Yeah. So therefore we're I, not going to let you do a Vertigo I'll be reboot. I'd be very surprised if we do not get a Bendis Batman within the first year. Oh yeah. I think like, so I'll too. I'll be shocked. I think, and, and it might be that they'll give him his own book. Oh, like I think it's much like more Tom likely. King mm-hmm. stays on Batman. Oh yeah, and Ben just gets like All Star Batman Volume Two. Well, see, this is it. They've. I was going to guess. I was going to go with Legends of the Dark Knight. I was going to guess that they were going to resuscitate the old uh, LODK, and then they could have Bendis do you know out of continuity Batman stuff or whatever the fuck he wants. But I think, I think you've got two nine hundred pound gorillas and. Because I think someone that I was emailing thought that, even thought that they would, you know, the natural thing would be to give Bendis Detective. But I kind of feel like, 
I, I hope they don't because I sort of feel like Detective's been on a pretty good steady. Dete- yeah, Detective works right now. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I think you give him a new book because you want a number one. Well, see, that's it. You get him, you get him doing a number one, you know, Legends or some other, whatever, whatever he goes with. I don't think, I think it's too soon for him to do All Star Batman. Yeah, it probably is because like that, the, the Snyder run, I think, is literally just finished. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's, it's too, and it, and because it finished kind of low, I think they want something that they can excite people with. But, but here, here's the other part of this. Mm-hmm. Given that, there has been, and there's actually an interview up on Publishers Weekly right now about this. I'm not really talking out of school. Oh wow! Given that the DC is looking at different formats mm-hmm. for the next year or so mm-hmm. to launch in the next year or so, I part of me is wondering how many monthly books we're going to get out of Bendis. Bendis. Oh, or I see what you're saying. Bendis jump to a book format. Mm. Or I, 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 I said I genuinely believe Bendis is going to play a big role in the new vertical. Interesting. 100%, 100% mm-hmm. think we're going to get a new Bendis book out of that. I think, I think that would, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think, I think that makes sense. Let's hope that that's what everyone involved really wants, you know? Yeah. But, well, we'll, I mean, we'll see. But I, I think from a creative point of view, if Bendis was looking to stretch himself and we don't know that he was. Honestly, we have no idea. DC's the place he should be. Because Marvel is was literally just going to offer him like here's another monthly book. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes we'll want two issues a month. Right. You know, DC's the, st- the place that's going. We've got pop up imprints. <laughs> we've got Vertigo. If you want to do mature readers, we've got mature readers that isn't Jessica Jones, I should say. We've got you know OGNs. Right. We you know we we have a variety of other things. Well, uh, in, in addition. Yes, yeah, agreed, but I think there's two things. One is, is that I, uh, well, I can see Bendis transitioning into that. Uh, I mean, and I think it would be great if he started there already. It just kind of depends on. Well, it depends on what he wants. Right. I, I think so. I (laughs) mean, I think he's a real 900 pound gorilla in that sense. Like whatever he's going to take, take over, you know. um, If he takes over. It'd be great if he took Jimmy Olsen, you know? Right? Yeah. I was making that joke as well this week. Ah, that's like, if he's like, I'm doing Jimmy Olsen and four new books. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That would be excellent. So. You know, that that would be hilarious. Okay, so he wants the same scenario, but no DC. Shuffle intact Marvel creative teams onto other properties. Oh, yeah. I totally didn't do that part. Did yeah, you? Yeah, I, I know. And, and part of it is, I can't let... I, I put the current Royals team, which is Javier Rodriguez and Al Ewing, I'd put them in Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. I would put the Squirrel Girl team on Spider-Man. Mm. And I'd cancel every other book. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, there's books I like. Like, I think uh, Jason Aaron and Russell Dodderman are doing great stuff on Thor. Mm-hmm. But I'd be lying if I was like, and I've always wanted to see them do Ms. Marvel, you know? Right. I've I've not. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's the that's the best you're getting out of me. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I really one of the things that I thought, and, and this is probably why. I mean, 
I think my list is pretty delightful and has a lot of stuff in there that I'm kind of well, like. I, sh- I should hope so. You would hope so, right? But I mean, I just think that, I mean, I look at that list and I'm like, oh yeah, come on. Jason Aaron and Chris Bacalo on Thriller. For fuck's sake, yes. But I mean, that's one of the things that's really goofy is, um, I feel that I can take a list with DC and I can goof on it a lot and kind of play the B list or C list characters or something. And maybe it's just because I don't pay enough attention to either thing at the moment. But I just kind of feel like some of my stuff with Marvel is there's there's a lot of there's there's a lot of really good stuff that they've done. Like you know, I I thought I ended up warming up a lot to Walker and Green on Power Man and Iron Fist. It took a while. You know, I mentioned Philippe I, Smith I, and Trad Moore. I've got to go back into Power Man and Iron Fist because I liked Walker and I love Green, and the first few issues of that book just left me cold. Yes, yeah, super cold. But you know, but I it really did start to warm up. So I, you know, I and I think there's there's a lot of really great artists and creators. Going in there, I just, but for whatever reason, there's just some sort of, I don't know, I don't know how it ends up feeling just so homogenous, I guess, you know, I guess the thing that's weird about DC is because their bench is so deep, because they just had so many concepts that they had, you know, that were being, um, churned out over the decades that, that you can kind of like take someone and place them in there and then, and it just take it's, it's a little bit harder for me, I think with Marvel, even though it's, you can turn around and be like, Hey, you know, you can, Jeff, you got Chip Zdarsky doing Howard the Duck, you know, and part of me is like, uh, yeah, but I well, part of, want, but part of it is also, uh, I can imagine DC going, let's bring back fucking Binky. Do you know what I mean? Because like the, in recent in recent memory, they're like, let's bring back Prez, right? Or let's actually have a dastardly and monthly monthly, right? Whereas I cannot, at any point in the near future, imagine Marvel going. You know what needs to be brought back? Kickers Incorporated, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, which there's is there's a whimsy in like the DC back catalog and the possibility of it being revived that there just isn't in Marvel. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, again, I thought I thought the Wasp book was pretty charming. But again, I mean, that's it's Wasp. It. Do you know what I, mean? I guess what I'm saying is, is like the concepts. <laughs> well, I think, th- and I think that might. Do you be know what I mean? Like you're problem. you're not going to get a Billy Lumpkin book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there's there is there's just something for my for me myself. I just don't know where it is, but where I'm at with Marvel, despite the fact that I'm still reading a lot of older Marvel stuff and I, I still appreciate what some people are trying to do in the, in the Marvel universe currently. I also find myself just being kind of blah. Yeah. Kind of blah. And I don't it's know. It's really weird, right? Because yeah. there's actually a lot of good stuff being done at Marvel right now. Yeah. But somehow the line as a whole really does just seem boring. Yeah. I and I think honestly, for me, I think it would help if there were some people that 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 did change it up, you know? Because I do have that thing of like, I like Jason Aaron, okay, but part of me is like, I don't necessarily know that I want to see him take on another Marvel character, like big or small. Like I would rather like to see him try and mix it up and kind of figure out how to make his stuff work within a DC 
perspective, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. Or just well, that, that's the thing. It's part of the reason the Bendis stuff is so interesting, besides the fact that, like, no one fucking saw it coming. Mm-hmm. Like, no one saw it yeah, coming. Yeah, that was an amazing, like, uh, out of left field, like, wait, is this April 1st kind of thing. Right? Yeah. But part of it is also, there is a moment of, like, oh, this is so unexpected, maybe it'll work. Mm-hmm. Right. And and the idea of, like, you know, the idea of Jason Aaron all of a sudden being like, you know what, I'm doing Supergirl, mm-hmm. is is interesting. And, and does seem so unusual again that you're like, oh, maybe. Well, I so th- maybe, maybe that's what happens. Maybe you just need to have like literally all new blood at Marvel. I also think there's something to be said for the idea, at least for me, that unless you've got stuff that is, that is flying under the radar, all of the major books have gone through the, you know, they're dead, they're alive, they're evil, they're good. You know, like all of them to such great lengths that it's kind of that, that I think there's just that you just kind of have a, there's just that taste of sameness there for me. That's, which is a shame because I do, um, but also I think it's worth, worth admitting, I guess the add on to that is because there's part of me that's just such a crazy Marvel head. Um, maybe to the point of being a fanatic about it, that it could be really hard for anyone to do anything on Captain America that I'm going to be like, oh yeah, this, this, this wows me. This sends me. Like part of me is kind of like, yeah. eh, let's just, let's just, let's just whatever. Let's just whatever with those characters, you know, because <laughs> let's just move on. Yeah. Let's just did, move did on. Did you read the first, did you read the first Wade Sabney issue? Uh, I'm sorry. The first, which what issue? Wade Sabney. Captain America? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't, cause I'd love to see Samney on, on Cap, but I just can't handle the idea of Wade writing it again, so. It's, um, it's a really good looking book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, th- kind of what was surprising to me is it so clearly goes out of its way to avoid Secret Empire. Mm-hmm. That it feels like it's been suffocated by Secret Empire. Mm-hmm. You know, that you have literally no reference to it. Mm-hmm. That's not true. I think you have like a reference on the, like someone refers to it on television or something. But it, you're, it's so present through his absence. Mm-hmm. And so seeing Cap just being like, Hey, you guys, you're weak, but he's weaker. So you've got to take care of him because we take care of those weaker than us. Right. And you're like, this, you know, this just feels utterly false mm-hmm. coming storyline we just came out of and that you're not even mentioning it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's super pretty. E- e- even f- yeah, looks great. Yeah. I'm sure it looks fabulous, which I, I'd love to see. And I, I'm sure I'll check it out on unlimited, but I, I find myself even just that thing of like, I remember when they did, you know, uh, they came, they did Heroes Reborn or Heroes Return or whatever, and it was kind of like, hey, we kind of fucked up Cap, but here's Wade to make it right again, you know what I mean? And I'm kind of like, even that move from like 20 years ago or whatever is being redone in a way. <laughs> it is kind of wacky that all of a sudden, 20 years later, Marvel is going back to the same writer to fix Captain America. Yeah, totally. And in a way, like I'm Marvel just like, Legacy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It is true to Marvel Legacy, I guess. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, I it's I'm super curious where they're going to go. Actually, I'm not because I know where they're going with Cap, which is Wade's there to write the ship, and then they're giving it to Tanahasi Coates. But still, mm-hmm. oh, you right. know, it, it, Coates is doing it. Yeah. and I'm 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 very curious what he's going to do with it. Right, like that could be amazing, mm-hmm. or it could be terrible. Right, depending on what he's allowed to get away with. You know, because the last thing I want is Tanasi Coates writing a generic heroic Captain America. Mm-hmm. Like that's the last thing I want to read. Yeah, but if Tanasi Coates wants to actually talk about America through Captain America, I am there for it. Yeah, well, and I, I think I am too, although I just sort of have a little bit of the, you know what, I have to say, I don't think I'm much of a Stucky man per se, but, or really necessarily at all, but just kind of that idea that, that there's, everyone's kind of, there's this strong fandom element that ships Steve and Bucky, and it makes really, in continuity, I think it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways for those of us who remember the days where Cap would just double over and be like, Bucky! Bucky! Yeah. You know, um, just knowing that that's not going to happen, knowing that whatever else happens in the wide, wacky world of Captain America, we're probably not going to get Stucky ever or we're going to like... 25 years from now or something yeah, like that. When you say Stucky, do you actually mean in a relationship between between Steve and Bucky or just the two characters interacting? Oh, no, 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 no. Definitely the two characters in a relationship. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I I just think that there is, there's a little bit of that. I think, you know, I, I, there's a, in the feedback to the episode, um, somebody actually, I, I can't remember if it was Vord, 99 or not, but someone was kind of like, oh, I'd kind of like to hear Jeff go on about his theory that universe, superhero universes can only last for so long, you know. Uh, oh, oh, and I think they were sort of, they had their theory about why, I, why they thought Batman was an exception and we'll, I'll steer away from that. But one of the things that I do think is important is A, if you buy into the idea that a uh, superhero universe has an interior continuity, you can only build the jungle gym so um uh tightly before you know you more or less extinguish uh, all the possibilities and then you start repeating yourself or you get into that situation of if you're not going to have the character's age after about 30 or 40 issues you 30 or 40 years you get into this crazy like do I reboot do we not reboot is this a new earth is this a new universe you know all that sort of stuff of trying to figure out how the hell do you handle basically having more history than you can ever, you know, that it basically you've closed off so many narrative possibilities. But I also think there's a lot to be said for creating characters of that reflect the times, you know, and I think that that there were ways in which Marvel's diversity swap was not handled especially adeptly but i do think that there were ways in which i was like oh okay i want to see this but i think it's i think it's much easier now if we were if um if there was the marvel universe that was starting up now to be like okay yeah we can we were starting from a baseline of more characters of different races of mixed races of mixed genders of mixed 
and sexualities, you know, because I kind of feel like that reflects the world as a, a good chunk of the world as, as I see it and I experience and that's out there. And I think, really think that that's like, you know, a good and such a valuable thing, you know? Um, and also, of course, more creators of color. Th- that doesn't mean that in, you know, if it holds true, then in 30 or 40 years, those characters are pretty much going to be kind of played out except for one or two exceptional ones. But at least it's got a way for people to actually kind of respond to them and feel like they've, you know, like they're reading something that they can connect to and not something that they're having to kind of squint to try and connect to. So, which who knows, maybe that'll play into the, the Valiant question coming up. I don't know. Just before we get there, uh, it's funny you're talking about this because it makes me think two things. One, talking about Stucky, if you start the Marvel Universe again from from scratch today. Mm-hmm. I would love to see one where Steve and and Bucky are canonically gay and in a relationship. Yeah, because if nothing else, that makes the idea of Bucky being potentially killed and then returning infinitely more dramatic. Yeah, because Steve has lost his boyfriend. Right, you know, and then he's alive, and 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 Bucky isn't in his mind, mm-hmm. and that's that's full of, of of a lot of potential. And then Bucky coming back and being a bad guy and not recognizing Steve, yeah, is full of of so much potential. Yeah. Uh, secondly, super quickly, I don't know if I ever, I've ever talked about this in the podcast before, but one of the biggest missed opportunities for me in the New Fifty Two in terms of Superman mythos mm-hmm. was I always wanted Jimmy Olsen to be by. Oh, Jimmy Olsen being and, by would be great. And I also wanted to, like, just not even to make a deal, big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. But literally for, like, all of a sudden Jimmy to have a boyfriend and for no one to make a big deal out of it. Yeah. And to just be like, yeah, Jimmy's by the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's, and it's such a weird, weirdly specific thing. Mm-hmm. But I always like, that's like, it seems like such a gimme to me that you're like, yeah, this is, cause honestly, Jimmy's a blank, a blank slate. Right. And you can do whatever you want with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so why not do something as, as small, but as meaningful as that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing is at least for me, these things don't feel like, you know, huge paradigm destroyers. I know that I feel very, you know, we live in what I feel, you know, very fortunately, uh, very socially progressive areas. We're not in areas where people have to stay in the closet, you know, out of fear. Um, but it just, I'm just like, yeah, the world around us for fuck's sake, people, you know, and so there is a little bit of the, the whiff of stodginess that sometimes breaks out where they're like, oh yeah, uh, maybe one of the Robins is gay, maybe, sort of, maybe, I don't know, whichever one that we may or may not kill, maybe that's the gay well, one. That, but that's, a, that's just it, it'll be like, maybe one of the Robins is gay, and it's Carrie Kelly, she was never even a Robin, but she's a girl, done. <laughs> you know, and you'll be like, fucking DC, seriously. <laughs> Whereas like, the, the real answer is like, it's fucking Jason Todd, okay? Right. Let's just move on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thomas Williams, talking about moving on. Yes. Says, the past two years during either SDCC or NYCC, Valiant do a huge sale and end up buying an entire past year of back issues and binging them. 
I always find that comics are just great with solid story characters and art. However, once the sale is over, I'm back to forgetting these books in my weekly purchases. What can Valiants do to get people like me to remember them throughout the year? That's a, That's a really good question. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, in large part because I read Valiant, uh, I, I, in single issues, but I don't read them when they come out. I tend to save them up until the storyline's finished. Mm. Uh, because Valiant does read great in binges, and I think Valiant would be more successful in not being forgotten throughout the year if their single issues read better. Because mm. I don't think Valiant's books always read book read well in single issues. Interesting. I think they are so aimed for the trade mm. that they really suffer in single issues in many cases. Hmm. What do you think? I mean, do you... Where are you with Valiant? Because I feel like you've you've read some and liked it, but I wouldn't say it was something that you were like, oh yeah, I try and keep up with Valiant. Oh no, I, I definitely don't, which is which is a shame, because I, I read a lot of it, and I think that it's, you know, I find myself being very, like, oh, this, you know, it, I, I'm aware that there's quality involved, but like, you know, I'm reading Exo Man of War right now, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I'm, I for the most part like it. Like I started off loving it and between the shifts in artists and kind of the way the storyline is progressing, I'm a little like, uh, you know, cause, cause if, if nothing else, cause it started off like, wow, this is great. And then the action scene sort of, it, each issue is sort of built around big action stuff. But they also sort of start feeling like the same action stuff, sort of. And yeah. I'm kind of like, yeah. but, but one thing that I do like about Exo Manowar that I think is, is good is for me is there's the pitch and then there's the hook, you know, like you got the pitch, which is sort of, you know, um, Conan in an Iron Man suit, but you know, the revised is like Conan in an Iron Man suit in the future. You exactly. Know. In a heavy metal comic. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's great. That totally, you know, Space Conan always works for me. But what's great is there's also a hook that keeps me coming back, which is this idea that for the most part, he's tried to stay away from the suit. And he yeah. keeps, the suit keeps making noises like, well, you're going to come back to me sooner or later, you know. And, it's, I mean, on the one hand, it's also derivative to that kind of Adam Warlock, Starlin stuff that I love, you know, v, you know, slash Michael Moorcock, Elric kind of angle. But I kind of dig that hook of like, oh, here's this guy who's like doing awesome without the armor suit, but there's going to come a point where he turns to it and you know that it, that's a devil's deal or, or it's being painted that way and kind of What's going to happen then? And I think there's something that I could be wrong. I don't feel like like the only other Valiant book that I really dove into with any sort of, at any length, was Archer and Armstrong. And I found myself being like, this is a really fun book, but, but, but the hooks felt so muted on it. It was kind of like, oh yeah, maybe Archer's going to kill everyone. Maybe. I don't remember. Like that could have been a a hook that Van Lent brought out at like year two or something like that. But I was just kind of like, 
there, there was a bunch of things in place that was like, oh, this is going to get resolved. And then it kind of felt like it didn't. It sort of felt like, I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Cause I, I think our turn off are actually built to a good conclusion at the two year mark. Uh, maybe which maybe. which was also the end of the series. Mm-hmm. One of the problems I have with Valiant, specifically at this point, is you can see the because at this point we have had titles come to quote unquote conclusion and then essentially go in hiatus and then get revived with a new creative team. Yeah, there's a sense of. Um, of things not not mattering, yeah. But you can feel all the different parts move in a corporate sense, yeah, right. And that's actually one of my problems with Exo Man of War right now is that I know that Harbinger War Two is coming, and what they've already said about that, I'm like, oh, so I know how Exo Man of War ends, mm. mm-hmm. you know. And so all of a sudden, all of Exo Man of War, all twelve issues, feels like a prequel, right. And like moving the character from place A to place B in order to set up this other thing. Right. Um, one of my favorite Valiant books, in fact, probably my favorite of the Valiant books was Imperium. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, the Josh Dicer follow up to the first Harbinger series. And that pretty much just like ended, like didn't come to conclusion, just stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. Either Dysart is no longer with the company, so maybe because he fell out with them, or maybe because they wanted to do something else with the Valiant property, with the Harbinger property. Mm-hmm. And things like that don't help either. Mm-hmm. You know, when because because one of the reasons I loved Imperium was it took the Harbinger property in such a different direction that you're like, oh, I don't know where they're going. Right. This is fascinating. You've gotten rid of essentially all the main characters. You've set the new series around the antagonist. And you're, you're pretty much saying, maybe he's the protagonist. Mm. Like, he's a supervillain who actually maybe does know better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And to literally just stop that and go, only joking, you guys. Yeah. He's definitely the antagonist, and here's the good guys back again. Yeah. It's just like, oh, okay, I get it. We're, we're resetting. Yeah. And some of the good things come from the resets. Like, uh, Venditti's Wrath of the Eternal Warrior, I think it was called, mm-hmm. uh, was much better than the first Eternal Warrior series for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, the new Harbinger series is nowhere near as good as Dicer's Har- Harbinger for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new Exo Man of War is much better than, than the original Exo Man of War series mm-hmm. for me. But the second Archer and Armstrong series wasn't any, wasn't as good as the first Archer and Armstrong series for me. Right. You know, so you get, he's like, they're coming back with different takes takes on the characters, but eh, right. Well, and like I, it's literally roundabouts, and it, and it is it's a small pool, which I think is part of its charm, but also potentially a drawback because because at yeah, a certain it, point, they only really have like it feels like they only have like five properties and they juggle them. Right, exactly, and and that that that'll hold you up for the first I don't know you know, four, five, six, seven years, but at a certain point you really do have to do some crazy expansion and and, and try something else. Because, yeah, otherwise I think it does just sort of fall into just I, I, a churn. There are new things that they try, and as the, as the publisher 
continues to to exist, the new things are much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Like um, Matt Kintz and Trevor Hairstein doing Divinity and now doing Eternity right. are, was was much more interesting than than you know a lot of their other books. Eric Kayseri and Raoul Allen's Secret Warriors I loved. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a great idea. And again, it's essentially like Harbinger. Uh, but done differently, mm-hmm. and I was like, no. But the done differently is what I like, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, like sure, give me X Men with the the numbers rubbed off, but do something else with it. Yes, you know. And so having like secret secret weapons theory is literally someone like there are lots of mutants, you know, science, whatever they're they're called in the Valentine universe, but essentially mutants who have shitty powers, mm-hmm. and someone's killing them all because when they kill them they gain their powers mm. and their shitty powers until you have a lot of them right and then you just become god <laughs> you know and so when you do it's the x-men but the x-men is made out of people who have terrible powers right you know like i can fucking talk to birds i can turn to stone but i can't move i just literally turn to stone <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I, the funniest thing is that, like that's a Legion of Superheroes joke. Like, yeah, literally. I was, I was about to say that sounded familiar yeah, to me. Stone Boy is yeah. Legion of Superheroes, but you know that's much more interesting than you know they've kind of got cool powers and they're rebels and they're taking down the system. Having a team that is literally a team because otherwise they will die, right? And all of their powers are terrible. Mm-hmm. Is more interesting. Yeah, that, you know, that's a good hook. So, so yeah, the short version is I think if Valiant want people to remember them for the year, they actually have to make the single issues better. And they have to find, like you said, a hook to each book. Mm-hmm. It should come back. Yeah. He also says, also, Graham, of Van Lighty's Archer and Armstrong and Time Walker, which do you prefer? Time Walker by far. Oh, interesting. Because it's more focused. It's shorter, which does count. It's like half the length of Archer and Armstrong. It's only 12 issues. Mm-hmm. And for me, the Hook of Time Marker is much better. Because the Hook of Time Marker is essentially Doctor Who, but he's a dick. Because <laughs> Archer and Armstrong is, it's a buddy comedy, and beyond that, give me two weeks and explain the, the concept to you. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it involves cults and other cults. And a third cult is trying to take over the world. And also, what, like, Art, uh, Armstrong's uh, immortal. Why is he immortal? Give me another couple of weeks. Right. You know, Time Marker's literally, he's Doctor Who, but he's a dick. <laughs> right. And you're like, I, I've got it. Sure. So yeah, Time Marker. There we go. Evan Casts. Are there artists that you sort of adore aesthetically that you can't stand anymore due to the same aesthetics? Two of my favorite artists as a teen were Art Adams and Ron Lim. I love their work. Now as a 40-something, their work literally upsets my stomach. It repulses me. Evan, I really genuinely hope that's hyperbole. Because while I don't like Ron Lim's artwork, the idea that you actually physically get sick makes me really worried. Because Infinity Gauntlet's going to be everywhere next year. (laughs) Um, I'm curious if you've experienced similar with any former favorites and why you think that might be. Um, John Byrne. Interesting. That's a good choice. I loved John Byrne when I was a kid. Yeah. Loved him. He was my favorite artist. And I think John Byrne's work is not particularly good now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great pick, Graham. I got to say. 
You know, that's interesting. I would say, I'd say Burn is an excellent pick in that regard. Although it's weird because I also feel like, um, I feel like Burn's one of those guys who, who, who really like persuasively sat me down and argued me out of liking his work. You know what I mean? Like he was just like, yeah. oh, okay. Now I'm, you know, it's just another turn of the screw to the point where it, and it somehow doesn't go back in, in that direction for some reason. Uh, I would say that actually, and it was hard to write this because it sort of seems to make me admit that I was a fan which seems like too strong a term for it, but I can barely look at anything from Todd McFarlane. Um, like, oh, I, I always thought you were a Todd McFarlane fan. Well, see, and that's Way it. I'm, I'm kind of like, that's why I'm like, no, I wasn't, despite the fact that I read the first 16 <laughs> no! issues of Spawn and had like 3,000 Spawn toys and, you know, but like reading, like reading his and Peter David's Hulk. Sounds. Oh no! I that I that was my jam, Jeff. I know, I know. And did you go back and revisit it recently, like within the last year or something? Uh, maybe a couple of years, but yeah, yeah. And what and and what did you think? Did it hold up? Was it? Uh, to find hold up. Okay, see, like there the, we go. the the writing still works, but mm-hmm. the, I don't think the art really held up. Like even as soon as it was published, right. Does that make sense? Like, I love McFarlane's Hulk. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone else in that comic I don't like. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. Like, it's totally Hulk, does. I, I, to this day, I still think his Hulk looks great. Yeah. But every other character in that book always looked goofy to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was a little true at the time. But yeah, no, just, ugh, eh, ugh, McFarlane's stuff. Although, you know, I also have to say, and I think this is as someone who keeps trying to dig into bug i i i I might be at that point with mike allred too where i'm just like i just don't think his stuff has the same kind of snap that it used to for me but maybe it never really had i don't know i just don't know like there's some stuff of his that i i really remember those very very first few issues of madman being like this is fabulous and now it's just like I don't know if I like the way that he it's a, and it's weird because there's that weird like you know artists can draw things the same way in a way that is deeply comforting to you you know but I also feel like there's so many things that make a piece of of comic work you know that and mm-hmm. I feel like Allred has always had he kind of always has his design chops I suppose like he can make things in a way that my eye seeks them out but I but I f- find reading him tedious you know I just mm-hmm. you know um, Peter Bag. I'm not I'm not down with reading Bag's work at all anymore it's just it just feels like a chore which is a shame because when I read it I'm kind of like oh you know half the time I'm like I might enjoy this if someone else was drawing it or something. Like, there's this weird, like, bag always, when I read him now, like, a lot of, and I mean his current stuff, I'm like, oh, this is more substantial than I would have thought of bag. And yet, Mm -hmm. at the same time, there's also something that I still find kind of too, just kind of 
half-assed about it too at the same time like i, I don't mm-hmm. know like there's just something on there that doesn't doesn't work sometimes Klaus uh bugs me if his line work is too thin i'll be like Klaus. this, this is a, a weird perhaps perspective to have klaus's work always reminds me of mike Aldred's work mm, yeah i can see it there is a studied classicism yeah there that's, that's like overly mannered in a way that the work they're referencing never was. Yeah, right. Maybe, maybe because of it's what they're, what they're referencing. I also think that as Klaus has gotten older and is trying to move into areas of like what's interesting to him. Like one of the things I appreciate about cartoonists is a lot of them do. They kind of grow and change in ways that kind of can turn off people who like their original work, I suppose, you know, because at a certain point it gets too, like I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's always like, yeah, like they're great. And then, then it just becomes so rushed and dashed off. And I'm like, I know you see it as rushed and dashed off, but I also am pretty sure the cartoonist sees it as they have simplified their line, you know? Yeah. And, and there's times where I think that pays huge dividends but again, like Klaus's work just looks weak to me. Like when he, with his line, if he, his line work, and when his line work gets to a certain point of thinness, I do feel a little bit of a weird nausea to it. You know, it's, it is kind of strange that you're kind of like, oh, that's weird. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, I totally know what he's, what Evan's talking about. And frankly, one of the things is, who knows, maybe we'll return again. I remember having that kind of almost nauseous response to Jack Kirby comics when I was a kid, when he yeah, was well, over I, at DC, I, you know? I was going to say, like, but that's one of the ones that goes in the opposite trick. Yeah, exactly. Where you're like, oh, I don't like this. And then later you're like, oh, naturally, no, it's genius. Another artist on that level, they, mm-hmm. they don't like it and you end up really appreciating it. Yeah. Actually, there's two, and they both come from rereading Legion comics. Uh, Dave Cockrum mm, never mm-hmm. worked with me as a kid, uh, and really does now. Mm-hmm. And uh, George Tusca. Oh yeah, you mentioned. But yeah. for that matter, Don Heck as well. It's Don so Heck funny. Is another artist. Yeah, I, and not related to Legion, but just another artist whose work didn't really work for me as a kid, and now I adore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carlos Escara. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think if we spent time talking about the, the ones that we, uh, we didn't like and now we love, we'd kind of be here all night because there's a huge, huge line for that. Although that being said, I'm starting to realize I think I could go my entire life and I will never like Vince Coletta or Frank Springer. Um, well, that's a shame. That's going to really impact your Dazzler reread. Oh, it has already. Believe me. I just been, I'm just like, I can't, can't even make through Dazzlers a movie. God damn it. Um, <laughs> it's nowhere near as strong as nausea, but an artist I adored when I was younger and whose work I just don't appreciate in anywhere near the same way. And it's not just that their style has changed, though their style has very much changed, mm-hmm. but I can't even appreciate their earlier work as much is Chris Bacalo. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Bacalo around the the time the, of Vertical starting, so like mm-hmm. his last Legion, his last uh, Shade issues, yeah, and his first and the Death miniseries. Mm-hmm. I was I was like, he's amazing! Like this man's the perfect comic artist. What are you talking about? Right. And 
again, looking at it today, I'm like, he's trying too hard. Yeah. Like, yeah. even back then, he was trying too hard. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. com- was completely sucked in. But it's not, like, nausea. It's just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. There I is guess, a lot of, eh. Thank you goodness. Know? Yeah. Yep. Badger Mushroom. Not only do I love that it's from Badger Mushroom, but I love the way he ends the email, so I'm going to read the entire email. Um, Hi, you asked your Patreon patrons, of which I am one, for questions to waffle about. So here's one. What do you two think of the recent purchase of The Beat by Lionforge? Any implications for comics journalism? I should note that I have great respect for Heidi McDonald and the staff of The Beat. I just want to hear the experts weigh in. Thanks to you both for an entertaining and informative podcast. You're welcome, Badger Mushroom. And thanks, Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for bestowing <laughs> Badger Mushroom. That's, I love that. I'm like, yes. That was great. Go along with the, the Empress Audrey joke. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, how do you feel about the beats being bought by Lionforge? Well, I think, I think for myself, I'm actually, well, it's this weird, like, I'm happy about it. I think that it's great when measured by the absolute atrocious standards by which comics journalism is trying to survive on the net. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm glad that Heidi's still there. I think that it yeah, seems... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Heidi. Yeah, I'm happy for Heidi. I don't really know enough about Lion Forge, and I don't get the idea they care much about the big two, so I don't think that... I don't think that that's going to end up being a big problem or there being super big conflicts. I mean, unless it somehow cuts into, you know, her coverage of other indie books. But I like I'm sort of I'm okay with it, but it is but it's very much with that. Like, I am sad that we don't have any sort of comics news site that really feels like a like an like an actual news site and i and i apologize because of course you know i know tons of people who do a lot through you graham you know like people that do honest super hard work plugging away at sites like newsarama or cbr you know even i think the wide variety of entertainment coverage that that you do graham is great but there's always kind of like I feel like there's part of the hemisphere missing. You know what I mean? And it just, yeah. I I have missed for a long time something that I don't think ever really existed. But that's that is a a, a serious site that deals with comic news right. and only comic news. Isn't like you know, and here's the you know, Gotham. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? This is what's happening in Riverdale. Right. And, and maybe that can't exist anymore. Yeah. I, I don't, I, well, but, but I, 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 I really miss it. Like I, I feel like you say, like, like there's, there's something missing. Like there's yeah. the part of the, part of the hemisphere is missing. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny. I, one of the reasons that Lionforge bought the beat, they were like, you know, oh, we miss Comics Alliance. Right, and Barbie was like, "That's the weirdest fucking reason mm-hmm. to buy the beats." Mm-hmm. Like, if you have the money, then start Comics Alliance again. Right, you but know, because the beat was never Comics Alliance. N- n- they were very different sites. Yeah, I think so. Although I think I think the current incarnation of the beat is somewhat 
closest, closest thing to Comics Alliance now. Yeah, but that's not the same thing. No, not nearly. Not nearly at all. Not nearly at all. Um, you know, I mean, I even think that Comics Alliance was not it wasn't uh, Comics Alliance when it stopped. Well, I mean, there was that, but I mean, what I guess what I was going to say is that Comics Alliance was a very specific type of website that wasn't. I didn't necessarily think of it as my total news in one, but I did really like it as a commentary and culture site that was specifically about comics. And that, that worked for me really well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, I think, I think for me, I think there was a point where there was like, there was this weird, like gesturing toward a, a comics news site that somehow felt inevitable. You know what I mean? Like there were times when frankly, Graham, back when you were doing like fanboy rampage or Dirk Deppy <laughs> Jeff, was Jeff, that was literally 15 years ago. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm saying is like, it felt, it felt imminent back then, you know? I mean, do you remember Dirk Deppy's journalista, like the first version? That's you know, literally first... where I was going. It was like you and that, and I didn't get to the end of my sentence. I'm like, yes, exactly. I, and, and Kevin Melrose doing shit. Was it called Thought Balloon? I think so. Yeah. Like Kevin, and even, even sort of the, I felt like Spurgeon on Comics Reporter was doing something that felt a bit more focused toward, here's what's happening right now. Like it literally did have that thing of, of you and Dirk's Journalista a lot for me as a link blog had that great feeling of like, it wasn't a new site, but it was there but were you could visit it and find out everything that was going on. Yeah, and that that was in that felt like um that felt like riches compared to sort of what we have now in a way, you know? Is everything yeah, feels it's, it's nuts now. I feel that there isn't and also because of that I feel like there's such a gap and therefore need for that sort of site. Yeah. I you know, I I feel that we're talking about this and lots of people would be like, but what about the MNT? Mm-hmm. And the MNT is good, but it does not scratch my itch at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you and I both support it, so we both have yes. access. Yeah, but do you read it? I oh, poor Steve Morris and all the other people I really respect. I have not dug it up and and read it. No, because it's kind no, of that thing of like. No, because it's like, oh, go to the thing. Here's your password that, and the deal. That, the... Yeah, that's that's one of the problems with it. Yeah, the the PDF newsletter format is not helpful. Mm-hmm. It it's genuinely a barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. But also, more than anything, it reminds me of the old school comics journal when it was in print newswatch column, mm-hmm. or like a tomorrow's magazine. Interesting and. There's a place for both of those things, mm-hmm. but as a news publication, it's that doesn't work. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, if I want to know about news, I don't want to wait for the end of the month for someone to well, say this yeah. happened twenty days ago. Exactly, and that's and I think that's the problem because for a long time I would say that a lot of people would think, and I, I'd be inclined to agree that the Comics Journal News Watch was almost about as close as we were going to get 
back in a day where, you know, before the 24-hour news cycle was invented, you know. But now that we have the 24-hour news cycle and have had for a very long time, it seems somehow just ridiculous. But there's ways in which I feel like that is such a... I don't know, a, a failing of the internet generally, you know, the, the need to, the need to monetize or the idea that monetization only happens at such a huge level that you can't, that you, that you basically ha- cannot risk losing, um, Marvel or DC as preview providers or whatever. It just, Ah, you know, it just strikes me frustrating. I'm coming at you in the opposite direction. Yeah. Namely, in favor of monetization. So much so that I can't even say the word. (laughs) (laughs) It's late. I can say that. I like getting paid for my work, Jeff. No, 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 no. Graham, Graham, don't get me wrong. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't mean... I'm, I want people to get paid. What I mean is the process by which the net has monetized things. Well, that, that's what I was, that's where I was going to go next. Yeah. Marvel and DC is not the key to monetization. Uh, no, but that's it. As long as it's all about eyeballs and hits and, um, and advertising it, rates, I feel like it is, don't you? No, and I think one of the things the Lionforge purchase does is point at an alternative revenue stream. Right. And as much as I do not like publishers owning news sites, Mm -hmm. and by that I should clarify, I don't like comic publishers owning comics news sites the same way that I would not like a book publisher owning a book web news site. Absolutely. like that conflict of interest is my problem. I don't care about a quote unquote publisher owning a publication because yeah. of course that's fine. Mm-hmm. But like for the same reason that, you know, bleeding cool, you could never trust to say anything about an avatar story. Right. Now you can never trust the beats to say anything about Lionforge. Right. Because Heidi could have the best will in the world. A, Lionforge could just overruler and take the thing down the story down because they fucking own the site yeah and be subconsciously you're going to be holding back because they're your fucking boss well sure but part of me is like again and this is it i'm like if we get a new site that's owned by like i don't know you know avatar accounts for like how much of the market like that's oh, yeah, nothing right so that makes it so much easier uh, but that, that yeah sorry you were saying? You said Avatar makes it so that makes it so much easier. Oh, I, I uh, hold on. Uh, yeah, sorry, my wife just came home and started yelling things at me because that's how she. Hello, was. Edie. <laughs> um, I feel like right. Avatar is such a small percentage of the market that part of me is like, yeah. So I mean, who cares about the Avatar stories that they're killing? But, you know what but, I mean? So. You know what I do? Because who knows? Who knows what's going on there? You know. Well, one would hope that at that point, you know, Heidi. Tells but as, on but them at, and... at, the, at the same time, um, I know of a publisher that almost bought Comics Alliance before it went bust, and I wish they'd done it. Yeah. And I wish that even though that didn't happen, they just started their own new site. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because the answer to all of this is, like you just said, 
if you have multiple publishers owning pu- multiple outlets, then the other publishers can report on your your owner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? And so, so that's how the ecosystem works. And if publishers owning and publishing news is a way to monetize without going, well, I guess we can't piss off Marvel because we really need that Iron Fist preview. Yeah. Then, then go for it. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. There, I, I, it kills me, kills me that you have, um, you know, Avatar owning Bleeding Cool and funding Bleeding Cool and funding them enough that there's, you know, permanent staff there. Yeah. And that Bleeding Cool is what it is and isn't like more of a new site. Yeah. No, I, you know? I agree with that like, as well. It's, it's like, God damn it. You mean there's a publisher out there that's willing to support like, you know, four full time staff mm-hmm. and you don't like you're, you're using it on Bleeding Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I. And again, Bleeding Cool does, does yeah. fucking work. Occasionally, also does bullshit. Well, that's uh, it. I think that's my thing that's rough is, is I feel like it does fine work occasionally. Not as much as it should though. It really does sort of rest on the bullshit and whether that's because it's well, expected I, I, to. I think it's, I think that's a page hit thing as well, to be honest. One of the most confounding things for me about Bleeding Cool was them bringing on Jude. Interesting. Because Jude's Say what you like about Rich, and you definitely can say many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich's news to bullshit quota is much better than Jude's. Mm-hmm. And yet, I honestly think Jude probably brings in more traffic. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually was hoping that what we would see when Jude came in was that What's it would... Jude taking on the bullshit so that Rich could do the stories? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and that's not what happened. No, not and it isn't. So, and that that's the part that's a, to me is a big bummer, because I kind of felt like, oh, like Jude could stir up shit in a way that could get hits, and then Rich could focus on, yeah. That that's the weirdest thing. Jude went over from the Outhousers to Bleeding Cool, and Jude got worse, and Rich got worse. Yeah, yeah. Like I, neither of them got sharper. No, and I feel that they should have. Mm-hmm. I feel that somehow they should have sharpened each other, and yet both of them have basically gotten more obvious and and more lowest common denominator, which yeah. is a shame. Because yeah. I feel that they could have complemented each other really well, and they didn't. Well, who knows? Maybe it's one of those situations where they would have or could have, but maybe between the the salary demands of each... Um, they were more or less told like, okay, well, your traffic numbers have to be this high or you've got to do this much, you know, and consequently they're both like churning it out for the hits, you know? It's yeah, like, I don't know, but it, it's, it's, it's like bleeding cool more than anywhere else, even more than like a CBR mm-hmm. is really frustrating for like what it could be versus what it is. Cause, cause yeah, because it came closer. It really was the... Not, not only did it come closer, I think, honestly, I think the uh, Valiant Avatar give less of a shit about the site as long as it hits its traffic numbers. Right. Which in and when you have when great. you have an owner who gives less of a shit, yeah. you have so much more freedom to do good work. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So... You know, you literally go for the old, uh, like, IO9 mm-hmm. theory of, you know, today, Person X is doing the shitty traffic bait stories. Right. Freeing up everyone else to do good work. Yeah. And yet that's not what happens. 
Mm-hmm. So, so we'll see. This is why neither you nor me run a website, Jeff. Yes, it is certainly true. It's a, you it's know? a miracle we've managed to keep our little, uh, side of things running for as long as we have. Brandon O'Hare. Yay. Hi, Grandma Jeff. Hi, Brandon. You have a great podcast, pshaw, and a happy belated to Jeff. Yes, happy belated to Jeff. Thank you. Did you have a good one? I don't think I even think I asked. Did you have a good birthday? Oh, yeah, I don't. You're right. You did not. <laughs> <laughs> you monster. No. <laughs> on your fucking birthday. You shut up. <laughs> uh, no, I, I had, a, I had a good, I had a great, uh, birthday overall. Um, there's, there's a lot of things to keep in mind. One is last year I w- went on a 15 day cruise to Hawaii. Um, for my 50th birthday and that was fucking fantastic until the presidential it, it, election. Um, yes. It, it did sort of skew birthdays. Right, exactly. So this year I'm kind of like, okay, I know I'm not getting that, so we'll see how it's going to turn out considering I'm basically working on my birthday and the day before and the day after or whatever. It, it was But really on the great. plus side, uh, Donald Trump did not get elected. Right, so. so there is that, thank God. Uh, yeah, no, I, it's, it, it was good. I had a, I had a lovely time. We, the wife and I went to a Half Moon Bay, which was fabulous, and, uh, over the weekend. And then the day that I worked, I worked and it was relatively mellow and not insane. And then I think, uh, we had a lovely dinner afterward. Um, it was all, it was all good. Yeah, good stuff. That's, that's, that wasn't his question. That was my question. <laughs> uh, Brandon's question is, for Jeff, who did you wife slash husband up in Stardew Valley? Ah, yeah. What a great question. I'm so glad you asked, Brendan. Uh, I'll try and, I wrote way too much on this and I'll try and make it. No, no, I want, I want to hear all because I've never played, but as I think you know, Jeff, I love the Sesu podcast, the the political podcast, and they are addicted to Stardew Valley recently. Oh, you did not, I didn't know. They've spent a lot of time talking about it to the point where I am now curiously interested in Stardew Valley having never played the game. So I want you to go in depth on this one. Oh, my God. Okay. So, so the first time through, um, I played as a guy and I married, I ended up marrying Emily. Uh, and I should say though that I romanced everyone. I played that character that I played. I took forever. Like I played for like something ridiculous, like seven yeah. or eight years of game time. Yes. You romanced everyone? Yes. Yeah, because you can you well not everyone. Jeff. <laughs> yes, Graham. Just keep talking about Emily. Don't talk about romancing everyone. No, you're just playing with emotions. Uh, oh my God, Graham. Well, anyway, so I think I think <laughs> that. Uh, so first off, I Emily was was great. I'm really glad that uh, my character married her. But I really did like romancing everyone, and one of the things that I thought was interesting was that I thought the 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 because you can romance either gender or both genders um i thought the I thought the romances with Shane and Sam were kind of sweet, and I sort of was like, "Oh, I'd be kind of curious to play these through as a female character and see if I find them equally kind of sweet." as a traditional hetero romance as the way they were as a gay romance. So um, I sort of felt though that definitely from reading online and a certain amount of my polls, I kind of felt like the um, concerned ape 
who crafted the game really tried to skew you towards like Shane or Leah as, as actual, they're the ones who seem to jump out as like, they're the perfect mate for you. So I was actually really resistant to marrying either, even though at first I was like, oh my God, Leah's an artist and she gets me, you know, I was like, <laughs> no, I don't, that seems too, too obvious. So I, 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 I can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. Did you ever play Dream Daddy? No, although I, did I, did I download it? I was, as you recall, I, I, we spent a lot of time after, um, after one day of Rose City talking, you were telling me about playing Dream Daddy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, just hearing you talk about this now, I'm like, Jeff, you should totally should have played Dream Daddy. Oh, believe me, I almost downloaded Dream Daddy if it wasn't for oh, the you, fact that- you should. Well, I, 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 I think you enjoy it. Anyway, keep going about your, your other, uh, Stardew Valley romances. Oh, okay. So this time through, I'm playing as a female character and I, and I want to play see if the if the female romances are equally sort of as sweet uh as as the male male on male romances were interestingly enough one of the romances that i thought was really sweet on um that my first playthrough is such a total dud uh this time around and it's one of those things i'm not mr like oh here i am is Joe role player, you can only refer to me by my character name while I'm playing this game sort of thing. But I am kind of weird, surprised by how much it's like, oh, I feel a much stronger attraction to this character on this playthrough than I did on the first playthrough. I wonder if that has anything to do with, you know, my quote unquote mindset. Cause so far anyway, it's exactly the same sort of lines or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, so yes, and I also would admit that I would be really happy if you could have affairs in the game because no matter who I play, I always have this huge crush on Robin the Carpenter and uh I kind of think that it might be interesting to have a romance with Kent cuz he's, you know, such the troubled character. Um I love how you say that like I know who you're talking about. Well, <laughs> you know like Kent and I'm like Ooh. Yeah, sorry, man. I, I, I don't know if Robin is male, female, or, or right. trans. That's, <laughs> I suppose that's true. You're right. And I, I would also non-ironically romance Pam. Like, I feel like there's always one non-romance character that people want to romance. And weirdly, mine is the town drunk slash bus driver. Uh, and fun- Now I really want you to play Dream Daddy. Yeah, I'm sure. No, the reason I say that is one of the daddies wife's is like is the town drunk oh, and really? tries to seduce your character wow interesting huh I might, I might check it out and finally I would say that I would be super thrilled if there was an extension in the game that allowed you to play matchmaker because uh, I know there's a lot of people who's who um, want to um, have talked about how much they want to um, matchmake Clint and Emily, which is very true. It's such a heartbreaker. But honestly, I would be really glad to set up like Marnie with license, with Linus, or Krobus and the Dwarf, or Pierre and Kent, or Pierre and Harvey, or probably what I think Concerned Ape was going for, which was Pierre and the Dwarf and Krobus in the triad that they'd all, you know, they'd all be into. So, 
yeah. So believe me, I spent a lot of time thinking about this question. And the sad part is I thought I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I think even before it was asked clearly. So no, that, that makes me so, so, so happy. <laughs> and honestly, I'm going to have to play this game at some point. I'm not a gamer, but between you talking about it and the fucking says who podcast at some point, I feel like I'm just going to have to start playing Stardew Valley. Oh my God. That would be the best. That would be the best. I'd be so For Graham and Jeff. Yeah. I know Jeff recently parted ways with most of his comic book collection, but are either of you still going through back issue bins to fill a run? If so, which ones? The answer is yes for me, but Jeff, do you want to take this first? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I have to say, I really don't. I really don't like the idea of, uh, having to, to, Hunt that crap up and yeah, but, store but it. You say and... that, but at, at Road City, did you not go back and go through the back issue bins? I don't think that I did. I went, you know, I went through the trades. I spent most of my time digging through trades. Um, I don't know yeah. if there were bins that I actually went through. And the fact was, every once in a while, I'd find something. And I'd be like, Ugh, "Do I really wanna?" Uh. Well, I said, like, it's you. You went digital. Yeah. You know, you actually, you did just get rid of the majority of your, your back issue collection. Exactly, exactly. So, so the idea of, it really does seem sort of, um, perverse almost. Yeah. To be like, and now many of the back issue bins. Yeah, exactly. I, it, that would be so hard for me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, but there is a way, I gotta tell you, that every once in a while I get obsessed with the idea of, um, like going and trying to hunt down all the back issues of Marvel Comics Presents the um the bi-weekly title from the 90s. Really? Yeah, cuz cuz there was because I mean, don't get me wrong, it'll never be digitally released as it was originally released. Right. It just it's never going to happen. Maybe it'll be collected. Well, up for up to a long time, basically there there is there was a whole period that I missed where they basically brought back a lot of 70s favorites to do stuff. So yeah, yeah. there's Don McGregor Black Panther stuff that was uncollected that might finally be coming out. There's Steve Gerber material that was uh, Man-Thing material yeah, there's, that was... There's, there's an entire Man-Thing run, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's that. I think there was maybe a Master of Kung Fu stuff, so... There's a lot in there that I'd be like, oh, that would be kind of great. And I think I have a lot more patience for, thanks to 2000 AD and other things, I think I would have a lot more patience for anthology titles. I'd be kind of happy to sit down with a big pile of Marvel Marvel Presents and comics. DC right. Weekly or whatever I was gonna it's say, called. Yeah, Action Comics Weekly. The Action Comics Weekly. Still, yeah. it's still Mark Wade's, arguably Mark Wade's best joke. <laughs> Action Comics Weekly. Have you never heard this joke? Where he's like, we misspelled the title. It should be W-E-A-K. <laughs> no, I didn't hear that joke. That's really funny. I love I love that joke. <laughs> um, yeah, I, as someone who had all of the Action Comics Weekly at one point, they, they were not the best. Yeah, no, I know. Just the fact that you didn't think they're not the best probably means that I could not stomach them for an instant, but... But I love the, I still love the idea so much, you know, for, for, I wish they would, you know. I, 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 it, I, I wish that someone would work out a way to do an anthology. Yeah. It, but know, also DC like a 2000 AD style year. anthology. Yeah. When you know? DC did Legends of Tomorrow last year, mm-hmm. and it was just like, what if we put four books in one? 
Yeah. I was like, it's such a fu- fucking wasted opportunity. You're mm. fucking it up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You really are. I am going through back issue bins to fill runs. I'm also just fucking buying them online and getting very upset with Midtown Comics because I'm now just missing three fucking issues of Levitt's Legion of Superheroes because I ordered them and then between me ordering them and them fulfilling the order, they like two issues disappeared. No. And oh. they had sent me an email going, you're not getting charged for them because we don't have them after all. Shit. But yeah, Levitt's Legion of Superheroes. 1980s and late 70s Superman and action comics. Because mm. uh, they're just so good. Uh, I suspect... Oh, Marvel Age. Marvel Age magazine. Mm-hmm. Which I, I love. I feel there's something else that I'm completely forgetting. Like, there was Micronauts, as you know, but I finished Micronauts recently. Yes. But yeah, there, there, there's a bunch of stuff that... Um, I was going to say it isn't going to be reprinted or digitally released, but like all of Legion is digitally available. But for some reason, having it in print is is really is, is what I want. In large part because, like the adverts and everything, mm-hmm. make it make it exactly the nostalgia I want. Mm. You know, so it's not it's not just the stories which I love, right? But the, you know, you also get the you know the house ads or or the you know the ads for the. the the, the Saturday morning cartoon shows or whatever that you remember? Right. You know, it's double dipping, but I kind of, I do love when we do Baxter building or when we're doing the Avengers read throughs of being able to switch between the Marvel Unlimited digitally recolored ad free experience and the GIT core scans of the actual issues with all the ads experience. Like, being able to kind of double dip and choose either way is is awesome. I, I love that. Because there are times where I really do, like, I'll prep for Baxter building and read, like, eight issues on Marvel Unlimited because I've got, you know, because I don't trust Marvel Unlimited to actually read it in real time. So I download all the issues, you know, to read offline so the the app doesn't hang up on me. And because I'll have like those four issues of the cat, beware the claws of the cat that I still haven't read. It's like eight issues. And then I'm like, okay, I'll read the last four on, you know, GIT. And I'm like, this is so much fun. Ugh, these ads. Ugh, these bullpen bull- bulletins. Like, cause that's been the great, like one of the things we haven't discussed is watching, um, the, the shooter start and grow in uh I don't know his own self-regard and then implode right on the bullpen bulletin pages before our eyes it's kind of amazing yeah it's it's a thing yeah. it, it's 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 most definitely a thing do you think um, that people can read comics now like like if you pick up a comic from like 5 years ago or something they'll be like oh these ads because you know what i mean like i don't feel like the ads in comics are really that enjoyable anymore you know they're all in house ads for yeah it's it's really weird looking at so I, okay i have uh i have a copy of the jetsons in front of me uh-huh so let's see it's got a justice league movie poster ad right it's got a snickers ad is it it's one of those a... snickers story ads Yep, and it's that... got a, a DC 
BS ad. Mm-hmm. It's got Steve Jackson's games. See, there you go. That's like the um, best thing in there. Yeah, Midtown Comics. Uh, House Ad for Doomsday Clock. House Ad for Damage. Uh, House Ad for Justice League. House Ad for Dead Man. The Flash on CW and Mercedes Benz Justice League. So yeah, it's almost all for all intents and purposes. The Steve Jackson Games one is the only one that doesn't feature a DC character. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Ah, oh, Lord. Hey, do you want to do the Roger Winston question yes, as well too? Because it it kind of ties in. That's weirdly. what I think as well. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, Roger Winston here. Hi, Patreon supporter Flash on Twitter. Hi. I totally miss submitting questions for the Q&A <laughs> podcast, but I see you're extending to a second episode. I know you're already full of questions, but here's mine just in case you need another. We do! It was we perfect. It's in under two hours, who knew? Background. I sold off the bulk of my collection, around 22,000 books. Holy shit, Roger. Yeah. Years ago, and stopped reading. But a few years after that, I discovered digital and got back in mostly thanks to my iPad and lock and key. Now I am totally addicted to comicsology and to a lesser extent Marvel Unlimited and spend way too much money there buying a lot of books, most of which I'll probably never read. <laughs> Jeff, maybe you know what this feels like. I, it's it's a mystery. It's it's I, <laughs> I don't understand. It's like something being read to me from a foreign language from space. Yeah, it's definitely not read to you by yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I felt the need to replace my print collection with digital. At least it takes up less space. Question one. Do you think there will come a time where we lose the rights to the comics we have bought digitally? Yes. Oh, really? Outright, yes. Uh, I don't think I ever read the comicsology terms and conditions out of fear, but I worry about them going out of business or changing their models or dropping publishers or whatever. Specifically dropping publishers I'm concerned about. Hmm. I genuinely think that that's going to happen at some point. Uh, and honestly, I think it's probably going to be Marvel or DC. Interesting. Although them being on by Amazon does make me feel more secure, I've downloaded DRM-free whatever I can for backups, but that has limited some indie publishers, mostly Image in my case. Mm-hmm. Marvel and DC don't allow that. So was I stupid to have sank so much money, most of it during sales, luckily, into something that could potentially go away before I have the chance to enjoy it? Oh, the hazards of being an obsessive collector, even when there's no physical components. <laughs> Jeff, again, are you actually in a fugue stage writing this email you know, to be someone called Roger Winston? I, we have happily have communicated with Roger before, so no. Although this is the thing that bums me out, is I actually was going to pretend to be someone else and write in with a question for some, for us to discuss, because there's something I keep meaning to ask you, and and talk about it so but this is oh not my God. it I, I honestly feel like you have to ask me after this question I, I um my, my answer to question one is yeah i genuinely think at some point a publisher is going to leave comicsology i i, I don't yeah. know what they're going to do to be honest i think they're going to have to contractually take away the comics but i don't know what they do then right. do they give a refund or do they give credit or do they just go, well, you had it while it lasted? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I personally think that if there was a, for example, DC was going to, to launch their own version of, of, of the whole kit and caboodle, basically selling their comic digitally on their own 
service with their own reader and their own blah, blah, blah. They could probably do worse than offer to everyone that they sold comics to on Comixology the opportunity to basically get those comics for free in their DC account with the idea that you've then installed your customer base and then you can begin the process of selling them their comics going forward under that model. Um, mm-hmm. So I, th- I think there's that. I think there's, you know, it was interesting and instructive to me that, that with Star Wars, like Dark Horse lost the license, but they were like, no, but you're, we're not, you, you know, the books are the books. I kind of half think, well, yes. I was going to say, I suddenly just thought, people who bought IDW's Doctor Who books, do you still have them? Because IDW doesn't have the Doctor Who license anymore. I, I think you do, although I don't really know, because I don't know if I ever... I, I, part of this is also, I could, I swear this happens, but I also could be entirely making it up. I could have sworn that I bought... Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Century Book 3 of Comixology. Oh, right. I know it's not in my library. Right. Which, and also, I know that it's not available anymore, but the collected edition of Century is available. Hmm. And so I'm honestly left with, did I really buy it? Mm-hmm. Or am I imagining buying it? And if I did buy it, did it literally just go away? Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't follow enough to actually know the answer to that. Although I swear to God, Graham, you asked it before, and I thought we stumbled our way to a, an actual answer. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I, I don't remember what it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to say, I'm getting to the point where part of me is. If I spend the money on something and I don't get around to reading it and then it disappears, I don't, I don't fear that as much as I used to. Like, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm 51 years old. Knock on wood, I'm in good health, but there's a point where I'm going to die and chances are good that I won't have read all my comic books at that point, you know? And I just, part of me is like, you can only do so much. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is that honestly, I know for myself as, as a hoarder and as somebody who, uh, conspicuous, uh, consumer, um, I get a certain joy out of buying things. And the joy out of reading them is also, is kind of a separate joy. Like in a perfect world, you get, you sort of get the triple dip. You get the joy of buying it. You get the joy of knowing that it's in your library and looking forward to reading it. And then you get the joy of, of actually reading it. But the older I get, the more I'm like, eh, I got two thirds of it, you know? And frankly, if I just replace that third, um, chunk, with, I get the joy of knowing that I am completely making Graham McMillan's, uh, head swim with this absolutely absurd approach to money. Um, then I think, I think, you know, I think I can feel myself fully rounded, you know? I'm glad I could serve that purpose for you, Jeff. As I think Rudyard Kipling wrote, if you can buy an entire run of Batman and the Outsiders, and then forget that you ever bought it and it sits on your iPad for four years and then 
you lose the iPad and your password at the same time, <laughs> then you it will be a man, my son. It was thinking poem. It was. Well, I mean, that there's a reason why that if poem gets quoted all over the place, Graham. It's because he clearly knew about iPad and comicsology. It's impressive. It's impressive. And it means a lot. It means a lot about what it means to be a man, Graham. It really does. Question two. Do you think DC will ever come out with a DC Unlimited type service? The bulk of the digital comics I bought are DC. On one hand, I would love this because then I could stop buying back issues. <laughs> I bought very few Marvels since subscribing to Marvel uh, Unlimited. No shit. Yeah. I, the, it's very rare that I'm like, I, I, I can wait, I can't wait six months for this. Um, on the other hand, I would hate this because it means I spent a lot on things I could then read a lot cheaper. I've heard some suggestions that DC's new TV streaming service might include a comics unlimited type service as, as well, which does make a certain amount of sense. Everything I've ever heard from a DC person, mm-hmm. all of it off the record, yeah. has suggested that DC will never do DC unlimited. Yeah. Um, basically because they think that they can make more money selling them. Yep. That said, this DC streaming service thing, um, it might happen. Well, see, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. Because DC uh, streaming service, from what I know, is not just a TV streaming service. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to have other components to it. Mm-hmm. And so they might fold in a DC Unlimited type thing in there. Yeah. Yeah, which makes which makes sense to me because there is a way in which yeah, Mar- DC kind of is uh yeah, we'll never do that unless Time Warner decides that they want it done, in which case it would happen, you know. So, I I think I think that it's one of two ways. Honestly, for me, the thing that drives me nuts is I wish that I just wish that digital issues were ninety nine cents. Like digital yes. back issues yes. were 99 cents. Yes. If they were, they would get me buying copies all the time, every week. Like I see stuff come out, you know, the, the amount of stuff, the back, amount of back issues that, that Legion of Superheroes or, you know, other, other titles from the seventies that I remember fondly. I would totally pick them up for ninety nine cents. I'm not going to spend a dollar ninety nine on them. It's, it's really it's, weird. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Like that one dollar yep. makes all the difference. Yeah, I would go fucking wild in comicsology. Yeah, if back issues were all ninety nine cents. Yep. Yeah, me too. Like I would have, I would have a Jeff Lester style problem <laughs> if they were if they were ninety nine cents. Yeah, and the one ninety nine honestly just crosses over into the nah. I don't need them. No, I totally get it. I totally get it because the stuff that I look at, again, I'm like, yeah. And again, it, to me, there's also that thing of like, yeah, you can measure it by convenience or whatever. But I'm like, I know for a fact that I can go and I can get that comic book out of a, you know, out of a comic long box for a buck. The majority right. of the issues on Comixology. Well, that, absolutely. That's just it. Mm-hmm. Every single Legion back issue I bought has been a dollar or less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. On comicsology, they're one ninety nine. Yeah. And this way, I get the fucking comic. Yeah. Well, see, that's it. You get the comic. In theory, you can do something with that. You know, you can probably resell them again on Craigslist for like ninety nine cents. You know, and I, so I just, 
it's it's that's frustrating to me. I understand by the same token that there's, you know, I'm fascinated. I really would be fascinated to to know to be curious to see what kind of world we would be in now if digital sales hadn't flatlined. And part of me is like, and the why of that? If the digital sales, you know, if that crazy amount of digital growth um, flatlined right around the time that, that Amazon made Comixology stop allowing in-app purchases. Because certainly anecdotally, talking to a lot of people online because we've brought this stuff up, a lot of people have said like, yeah, it's the it, it was the in-app purchase that once they, once that's gone, and it's true, Comixology in-app is like this ridiculous pain in the ass in the sense of like, I'll read an issue and then it will be like, oh, I can put this on a wish list. Great. I mean, even the fact that the Comixology app has a recommended for you bar at the bottom, I'm like, why the fuck are you bothering with that? So I can put it on my fucking wish list? Like, don't do that. Like, I don't know, you know, give me a a Comixology unlimited recommended bar or something that you can get me in on, you know? So I don't know. Just crazy. That being said, uh, so, but do, yes. well, I, First of all, you, Jeff, I want your answer to the question. Do you think DC is going to do a DC Unlimited? No, I don't think so. It, okay, now, now you can ask away. Uh oh yeah I don't know I was gonna blab about something else I will ask you the question that I was gonna write in under a pseudonym and ask about, okay which I I'm super curious which yeah, it's not it's just it's a very minor thing it was very much a uh dear Jeff and Graham it has come to my attention <laughs> through various mentions although I could be wrong because I believe Graham was more elliptical that I believe that you both saw Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Is that the case? And if so, what did each of you think? Dear listener, I didn't see it. Damn it! Graham, you totally (laughs) made it sound like I saw a tweet where I was like, oh, the son of a bitch went around the corner and saw it. No, I didn't. You didn't. No, I didn't. All right. I was totally was planning to. And honestly, the combination of me feeling sick for weeks after uh, New York. Oh, yeah. Um, and like just real life shit got mm-hmm. in the way. And then all of a sudden they're like, it's Thor now. I saw Thor. I still haven't <laughs> seen Thor. I want to see Thor very much. Thor, Thor's a toughie for me because, um, because Marvel. yeah, they're, well, the, right. The, Mar- Mar- actually not Marvel, the Disney thing. Disney, the whole Disney, um, fucking with the down. LA Times. Did they back down? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't see that. They backed down like, they backed down within fucking hours of the of all the other of the New York Times and other up. people joining them. Okay. Yeah, literally like within six hours. Oh, they that's great. Down. Okay, last I heard was the NYT joining in the boycotts. So, so I thought that was awesome. Okay, well that's good. Then I can sort of do that. No, sadly, it's much more the I've got a free birthday ticket through the Alamo, so I want to go see it at the Alamo with a free birthday ticket. I saw I saw you tweet that, and I have to ask you a question. Yes. I thought you were, like, skeeved out of supporting the Alamo after the whole Devon Farsi thing. That's uh, clearly not the case. Uh, no, I, I'm super, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, <laughs> the, the superhero, the waffler, I, uh, I was actually, 
pretty weird, weirded out by the Alamo Drafthouse stuff. I ultimately just kind of held my nose and went with it. Because part of me is kind of like, there's a lot of things that drive me nuts about the Alamo draft house here in San Francisco. But it is definitely not the Alamo in like Austin, Texas. You know what I mean? Like the same guy who's franchising it. Well, yeah, the same guy franchising it. They back the same sort of stuff. But like, I don't see the same sort of stuff going on and maybe it's happening at the San Francisco theater because there's, it doesn't feel like there's a community at the San Francisco theater. There's a bunch of disaffected hipster bartenders. There's a bunch of uh, waiters that never seem to basically keep their job from like one month to the next of both. Well, okay. But it's the same company. It is the same company. Right. Like that feels like going, well, Apple's completely blameless because when I go to my genius bar, there's ah. no child labor. Ah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I know, I know. I it's I totally. And I said I said this is the one who doesn't do boycotts at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. I just yeah. No, I I just I was like, I just don't. I, I like Jeff. You're getting no shade from me because, like I just said, I didn't know why. I know, no, no, no. I just, you know, I, I, I kept buying DC when before watching was on that. You know, right, right. No, I know that's true. No, I, I just, I, it's, it's probably exactly the same thing. Part of me is like, as far as I know, me attending the Alamo Draft House uh, in San Francisco benefits Tim League, uh, but I'm kind Doesn't of, what's that? Didn't he step down? Uh, did Leak? I don't think Leak stepped down from the Alamo Draft House. He may have stepped down from Fantastic Fest or the other thing where, you know, or, or he might have stepped down from Birth Movies Death, right? Because that's part of where Devin Ferrasi was, was in super tight. I guess that's the other thing is I haven't really bought into, I didn't, I didn't buy the Mondo merchandise. I didn't do Birth Movies Death. I just kind of wasn't, I'm like, this is just, a movie theater. It's a movie theater that I go to a lot. Um, yeah. That you know because of the convenience. But there have been times where it's like I'm like I'm getting sick of you know the way that they play their trailers too loud or you know what I mean like <laughs> typical stupid old man stuff. Like it's really yeah, it's hard funny. for me I, to make that. I level. just made the mistake of looking up Tim League and uh, it, not, it brought, of course reminded me that it's not just Devin Farsi. It's also the Harry Knowles. <laughs> Oh, right. The Harry Knowles stuff. See, again, it's part of me is like, I can sort of just sort of plug my ears and be kind of like, ah, la, 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 it's just the, it's just the Austin film scene. Like there was a guy on Twitter who I had just met and had followed relatively recently who's big into the San Francisco movie scene here and made a big show out of A, how he only went to the Alamo like seven times and he didn't like how they treated movies and classic movies and they didn't like their like super fanboy type thing but nonetheless he was going to like boycott them because of the stuff that was going on in Austin or whatever and it just seemed it just seemed like weak sauce I gotta admit this is really ridiculous considering as you know the lengths to which um uh I I want to say I will shoot myself in the foot over um 
issues that I consider important. But really, it's more like I will shoot my friend in the foot over larger issues that I consider important. But I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't work up the moxie for it. I just couldn't. I was like, this, this how do I put it? The stuff with League, although I could be wrong and it will later turn out that his shit was was absolutely evil struck me as bad bullshitty but mostly unconscious enabling of um completely shitty behavior it's i feel like some of the stuff that was happening down at cinefamily down in los angeles i was like okay this is bad like if i was down in la and i was going to the center family events i think i would i definitely stop going because this is bad and again if i was in austin i'd be like Ugh. but this feels i mean and this could be the weird part of this weird corporate thing is i'm like it's such it somehow feels like such an isolated pack of individuals which is ridiculous to say because if there's one thing that the last several months have, has really 2017 is going to be remembered as the year that toxic masculinity got at least partially exposed. Um, I just, it's, I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's hard for me. It's really easy for me to be like, I'm not going to support this. I'm not going to support that. In theory, I could really do the Alamo, but I just have this weird feeling of like, it, it just wouldn't feel like it, it would make any difference if I stopped, unless I really went full out and was like, I'm not going, I'm actively going to be standing out there protesting about it. I'm actively going to be trying to raise well, people's awareness of the issue. I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to like guilt you into stopping. It was no, 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 no. Like I, I, agree. I, I, it was more like, oh, I, I thought you weren't doing that anymore. You know? Yeah. No, I think probably cause I mentioned to you that I was kind of like weirded out and, and thinking about it, or maybe I mentioned it on Twitter. I don't know. I just, I found, I, I found myself being, feeling like, it just didn't strike me as I just couldn't I couldn't make the okay. I just couldn't make the connection in my head somehow. It just it really wasn't working. And maybe that's just me sitting on my white male privileged ass about it. Did you see did you see Hibbs's article about his um about his artist signature wall? The the latest I did. Yeah. I did. I thought that was, I thought that was pretty interesting. And again, it's that classic, like, how easy it is to, to, you know, tish tish other people. Because I thought it was great that on the one hand, Hibbs had been open enough to really think of it and ask the question. But now he's in that situation of finding out what he kind of wasn't expecting to hear and not knowing how to handle it really. And I think that that's, that's kind of an amazing situation to be in, you know? Uh, my favorite response uh-huh. was uh, Jeff Parker on Twitter. Oh, what did he say? I didn't see it. Literally, it was just a tweet that said, Hips, it isn't the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> because I kind of summed up how I felt. Mm-hmm. Like, I totally get where Brian's coming from. The, the context we should explain for people who haven't seen this article, and I'm sure Jeff will put a link in the show notes, is that in the – it's the bathroom of Comics Experience yep. and Divisitor, right? Yep. 
people have been cartoonists have been essentially graffitiing the the bathroom, and in what I thought was a, a, a spectacular humble brag, Hibbs was like, and then Garth Ennis and his friends came, yeah, and they did this, and the short version was like they went. Honestly, what I was like, of course it's Garth Ennis and John McRae are doing this. Right. They did uh, sexually graphic images that years later a visiting cartoonist let Hibbs know, actually after the fact, after she'd been there, yeah. that she was really uncomfortable with the, the, the artwork. And Hibbs' first response was essentially this is complete overreaction. But then he asked other women and his other female like, employees his female but it was employees. something like 70% were like yes we're uncomfortable with it too yeah and Hibbs literally is just like well I don't know what to do yeah yeah and it's like well you kind of do though like right. it, it's, it's it's the point now where you're just like well but I don't want to do it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I don't know what to do I think is is kind of dishonest I think yes. it comes down to I don't want to do it. Yeah, he doesn't want to do it. Which I kinda I which I get. It's not it's not easy. You know, again, this is my thing of like I, I'm Mr. Like, oh, I guess I'm still going to the Alamo, you know. Uh but but yeah, it's so it's not. I mean, part of me is kind of, you know, again, it's that feeling of like, well, is it, you know, cause I even heard Hibbs again, he's doing this whole thing of like, well, don't get me wrong, like hardly anyone ever sees that bathroom, you know, <laughs> and it's true, it's not really open to the public, but. Well, and also like, unless the bathroom is significantly changed from when I was there, uh, that's like at least five years ago, if not longer. Right. Um, it's not a bathroom you really want to visit unless you have to. Well, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> Depending on when you do visit it, the <laughs> art on the walls is the least horrifying and offensive thing about that bathroom. There's stuff in that bathroom that is genuinely repulsive, and it is not art. Uh, it is not art related in any way. It is, it is literally just. But, like, but none, but nonetheless, see, here's the thing, Jeff. When your staff tell you they're uncomfortable. Oh yeah. No, I think he's got to do something. Get the fuck over yourself. Yeah. No, because well. it's the, it, because it's not a bathroom that's there for the customers. It's, I mean, it is a private bathroom yeah. that's there for the staff. But when your staff say, no, I agree. when I agree. more than half your staff say, yeah. I am uncomfortable with that artwork, yeah. you fucking get rid of the artwork. Yeah, I agree. I totally, like, well, you just do. Or you, co- you like, cover it up. I mean, I, I'm personally of the thing of like, sure, cover, well, just cover well, it up. But here's the thing: for me, that counts as getting rid of the artwork. Okay, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You take it, you take it out of you, mm-hmm. one way or another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what I think. His whole like, oh, maybe I could do boxes or things or that's that, that yeah. that's just it. At one point, he's like, maybe I'll cover it up, but then when I give a tour, I'll have to explain why it's covered up and that's a hassle. And it's like, really? Yeah. That, was, that really? was really silly. The the fact is, is that I think, and this is the part that I know from knowing Hibbs, is he's so proud of the art in that bathroom. And some of it, and it kind of carries through a little bit in the story that he tells. Those are like some of his fondest memories. like, And the idea that he's covering them up really hurts him and 
I, I can I can understand it from that perspective. Sure, but, but at the same, same time, has the yeah. memory. Yeah. No, I know. I agree. I totally agree with you, and that's why I think it should be covered up. You know, he made noises like ah, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I guess I could peel it off the walls. I know he's not going to do that either, because that's the other thing is is that I don't know how he would it's not like he he owns the building he could negotiate something with the landlord to get that but then there would be extra expenses involved and that's my thing his, his whole like oh, i'm taking this art off and you know he said something like i could auction it off and donate the proceeds to rain i'm like do that you know that seems worthwhile if you think it's worthwhile but i know that he's like up oh, that's such a hassle and it is a little bit of that like there is this weird, like, how much of a horror show am I supporting, you know, by, because I just can't be bothered, you know? And that, that is, that is the question that I think is really important these days. And it's real, it's really important for, um, so I think it's important for everyone, I think, to ask, especially in that, you know, in that point of seeing as there really are no shortage of abominable people out in the world that we're going to find out about this year. I think at a certain point, the the real purpose of the exercise is um, also sort of looking at yourself. And I don't mean this in a general way. I cause, So let me write, roll that back. I, I definitely am aware that I need to look at myself and try and make sure that, um, you know, I feel, <laughs> I feel that the super special powers of the waffler really do have a lot to do with that desire for some sort of trying to do the right thing in the world without being self-righteous, I suppose, you know, and, and yet also being kind of like, ugh, but I really, I've got like such a good movie theater that's a 15 minute walk <laughs> as opposed to, I, well, it, it's, it's, and this is, this is not the time to have this conversation because we're approaching like two and a half hours, but, at some point, it might be worth, or everyone in the comments might be like, "Never have this conversation in the podcast." <laughs> but we're the com- no, but we're approaching the converse- conversation about um, performative allyship. Mm-hmm. You know, the I want to be seen to be saying the right things, but I don't want the hassle of doing the right things. Well, okay, right, which I definitely don't want to do but i i worry it because i do there's times when you talk about performative allyship and part of me is like ah i always i i wring my hands a little bit you know but let's 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 come back to it for another time so or well but honestly part of me is also like maybe let's never come back to it because <laughs> well no it uh in large part because i feel this is a really big conversation yes I feel it's an ever-evolving conversation. I feel it's a conversation that is uh, very connected to comics culture, but also perhaps outside the scope of this comics podcast. Uh, And also a conversation that we are all, to an increasing extent, having in social spaces online anyway. Well, yeah. So part of me is like, so it's perfect. I mean, I think the thing that's hardest is is that, that it's sort of... I know that you and I are at sort of at different 
um, are different places along the spectrum, and I think that it's it's almost like the Tom King Batman one. Like I don't know if we can do the conversation in a way that's going to result in anything other than people being scared we're going to break well, up, you know. And I, I don't. Yeah, uh, you know also, what I, mean? I think my fear is not not necessarily that, but more. It becomes a conversation that not only doesn't go anywhere, but is also really bad listening. Yeah, I think that's more my worry, honestly. Like my, like my concern is when I'm like, let's never have this conversation. I think it's because it would just make for a really shitty episode of the podcast. Yeah. Maybe I, I think you're right. I think, uh, sadly, I think you're right. Um, I think it's one of those things a little bit kind of like the way that we, sometimes roll back from talking about real world in 2017, you know, like we, we had to yeah, face took, some took of it, right it took on. us, what, nine months to talk yeah. about the election? Yeah. yeah. And I did, like, we're, we're like, and now, yeah. <laughs> let's take on right. toxic masculinity in 2017. I honestly think, uh, would make for a bad episode. See, I, I it's interesting. I I worry that it would be too if only because I don't feel like we have any solution. It's it's one thing it, it's I don't like would be saying anything new. Well, that's exactly it. There's no solution and there's no new. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I think that, I think I, that's I was, my biggest problem. I, I think we both I think we both end up being performative allies as well. Well, I think You know? Or like we're saying the right thing and we get really concerned that we're saying the right thing. Right. Well, but I think I, I see, whereas I think the advantage to that relationship is to where the discussion might be worthwhile. And I say might because I don't necessarily know if it would pan out this way is there is a little bit of the willingness to challenge each other or ourselves on that, because I do think that there is that like just in the course of this conversation i'm sitting here at the tail end of you know basically being like uh how performative an ally am i like on the one hand i think that it's important to stand up and say like i support you know i believe women when they say that they're sexually assaulted i believe that it's important to to call out people who um are reacting in bad faith uh when 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 they're being called out on it. And I also think that there's a way in which part of me is also kind of like, I have to look at that and be like, ugh, but I'm not going to stop going to the Alamo, which is kind of a weird, <laughs> you know what I mean? No. And I think the, and I think well, that's no, here, super here's, important the, here's part, the funniest you know? part about this. Something happened on Skype and you totally disappeared. Really? Up until you started. Yeah. Up until you started talking about, uh, there, there was something about uh, it making you uncomfortable and having stopped going to the Alamo. So I'm just going to say that I probably agree with everything you said, but I also didn't hear it. <laughs> I love the idea that this is where Skype is actually like, you will not have this conversation. This, yeah, this no, conversation is not happening. You literally disappeared. You literally disappeared. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, it's been two and a half hours, so I think we can wrap up the Q&A Maybe a little less fireworks this time, um, as opposed to last time, but I'm so glad that we did this, Graham. I'm glad that we tackled all these questions. Um, thank you to everyone who sent in questions, uh, uh, from Patreon to us. They were super smart and fun and thoughtful, and I've really also been enjoying 
a lot of the comments that we've been getting in the, the thread over at waitwhatpodcast.com for the previous episode. I'll be curious to see what happens here, too. Yes, I agree with all of that. I think that um, I I hope I wasn't a dick this time around. We'll see. Uh, I, I you could you could have been a little more dickish, Graham. I think I think if the episode this episode is not quite as sterling as the last one, I think I think it's because we need a little more of that uh, of that uh, Rio McMillan Rio McMillan uh, dickiness. Oh God, Rio! No, I forgot about that. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad I forgot about that. That would have put me in an even worse mood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, Jeff, are we back next week of the Baxter building? I think, I think, like, we that's, are. that's a legitimate question. Yeah. I don't know. No, 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 no. I think, uh, I mean, I'll have to double check, but my belief that I've, I've been working on in my head is the idea that next week is the Baxter building. The week after that, we're taking the week off for Thanksgiving. And because we've done three episodes in three weeks, we might take the next episode uh, next week after that off, and then we'll be back in December. But maybe we have to decide how we feel. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about that because part of me is like, wait, isn't the next week after that in December? Uh, It depends on when, when we record. If we record in, on Saturday, yes. If we record on Thursday, no. Well, we'll see. We'll work <laughs> next week. Next week, though, we'll be at Baxter Building, and we're going to be doing um, issues. Graham can't remember. It's three fourteen through three. Oh Jesus! Do we have to look this up again? Didn't we look it no, up last time? People, just go and look at the show notes yourself. Waywardpodcast.com. Yeah. <laughs> That'll tell you what the issues are. Oh man, Graham, <laughs> that's like a new low. All right, hold on. Let's see if I can find the Baxter Building very quickly by looking at our uh, types of. Oh man, where's the? Yeah, okay. Categories: Baxter Building. Come on, load website episode thirty-four. Show notes. Wait, why aren't you showing me the full it's, episode? It's three. It's three fourteen through three twenty something. Isn't three it? three fourteen through three twenty-four. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's what it is. See, it'll be fine. <laughs> I was almost there, right? It's fine. Yeah, jeez, everyone. Um, <laughs> this is the point where I do say that there will be show notes of this episode um, up on. Sometime in the future, Jeff? Oh, yeah. When are you going to get the show notes up? I think I'm going to get the show notes up probably the same time I usually do, which is Sunday night, early Monday morning. They'll be at waywalkpodcast.com, where there is also going to be, this upcoming week, the final two episodes of my my Before Watchmen slash Watchmen read. Uh, As long as I fucking finish writing them we'll see this week has not been conducive to me getting any spare time to write about watchmen just <laughs> tell you that right now um but yeah i'm 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 writing about watchmen itself and I, I've, i'm done with before watchmen thank the lord mm-hmm. uh and i'm writing about watchmen this week uh so yeah they'll be up and also i think matt terrell has a piece up this week as well so there should be a full week of content essentially mm-hmm. apart but Friday's always taken off. It's it's almost the weekend, everyone. Um, Waywalkpodcast.com. There is also going to be images and various commentary going up at the Tumblr. Waywalkpods.tumblr.com. 
there is a Twitter account that occasionally Jeff and I tweet messages out on when no one is paying attention. <laughs> at Wait What Podcast. Jeff is much more vocal on his own Twitter, at LazyBastid, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And this week I discovered there's at LazyBastid1 on Twitter. What? Do you know this? No! Are you serious? Yes! yes. <laughs> There's someone who has Lazy Bastard 1. I can't even believe that. That's insane. I was stunned and I'm wondering if they're a fan. I can't imagine. No, they were always like, I'm the Lazy Bastard, damn it. So, that's amazing. They only have three tweets. And they were all on one day in July 2015. <laughs> See, that was when they discovered you, Jeff. It it feels... And they're like, I like the cut of this guy's name jib. Dude, it's three tweets, and it's all about a Smashing Pumpkins show. I don't know. See? I, mean, I know you love the Smashing Pumpkins. Was this you? Did you lose your, your Logan for, like, a day in July 2015? Yeah, I totally got completely, like, baked and was like, uh, am I a lazy bastard or am I a lazy Gargan. bastard one? <laughs> Like, yeah, or my Billy Corgan. I love Billy Corgan. You know, honestly, there's, I, there's songs I appreciate. There's songs I appreciate. Really? Yeah. Is it the one about being uh, rotten in a cage, despite all your rage? <laughs> yes, Cram. That's clearly the one <laughs> everyone loves. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Bulletless Butterfly Wings. That was, that was a hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It the, was. That's one of those, that's one of those hits that nobody like owns up to liking now though, but yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, at the time, I loved that. Did you? That song? Yeah. Yeah. For the worst reason possible, which is, it was on constant rotation on MTV Europe when I had the worst trip to Paris and ended up watching a lot of MTV Europe. And so it reminded me of like, sadness. And I, like, I was like, this song, this song means something to me. That's really interesting. That's yeah, very interesting, Graham. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I even bought the fucking single, Jeff. <gasps> what? I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I had such a, I, I probably still do, even though I haven't heard the song in like 20 years. <laughs> but um, I had such an emotional reaction to it. I actually bought the song because it was so evocative of that particular trip. Which was like such a weirdly emotional trip that I bought the single. Wow. Yeah. See, so I, I was a kind of fan of that song. Interesting. Interesting, Graham. I gotta, gotta admit that, that totally blows my brains a little bit. That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. You're welcome, everyone. Uh, I'm on Twitter. At Graham M. At G-R-A-E-M-E-M. See, you thought we'd lost track of where we're going. I know exactly where we're going. We're also a Patreon-supported podcast. <laughs> because I've said Patreon, Jeff has to stop laughing and get his Patreon conversation ass in the game. I Jeff. do. I do. It's got it's to go and it's got to hustle a lot faster than it's been hustling. Hey, whatnots. We're grateful to all of the listeners all of your awesome support uh 
and encouragement and open ears. The fact that you put up with us for so long is truly astonishing and wonderful to us. And there's a group on people, uh, a group of people on Patreon that we find even more astonishing, which are, uh, people who not only listen to us, but find what we do, uh, worthwhile enough or they want to encourage it enough that they, uh, throw us the fat stacks, as it were. And, um. Oh! Jeff, well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh. For people who are wondering why I'm reacting that way, <laughs> if you don't remember last episode, uh, it was expressed that Jeff used the term dosh and that that is inappropriate. Yeah. And so Jeff asked for alternatives. Fad Stacks was one of them. We actually got some great people suggesting stuff on Twitter. We do. I, I've got to make a list so that I can use it rolling forward. But. Uh, our compatriot Matt Turrell is going to be the the um, the first uh, recipient of the Jeff Lester Dosh replacement uh, because he was the one who suggested fat stacks. And of course, I literally went, "Fuck! Why didn't I think of that? I love saying the term fat stacks, <laughs> and it's really true." So, Did you? Yes. Did you really? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So, yeah, uh, uh, we really... I, I don't w- think I've ever heard the term fat stacks before Matt said it. Oh, really? Oh, my God, yeah. No, it's it's the best. I was like, yes, hello. Anyway, so thank you, people at Patreon. We want to we thank all of, all of our listeners, everyone on Patreon who support us, but especially the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios and Empress Qua- Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Um, to whom we're especially grateful on her, for their continuing support. On What's her that? second shout-out on this episode. I know, I know. Yeah. Audrey's influence grows, much like her mighty celestial paw. So, thank you. Thank you, one and all. <laughs> Graham? Uh, we're going to be back in a week. We're going to be talking Fantastic Four. We might even be slightly less goofy than we were this time around. <laughs> Thank you very much for sending in questions. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you leave this episode not worried that Jeff and I are going to split up. <laughs> Seriously, people, we really did give you back that people were concerned. That's right. That's right. That, that we were we were going to break up because well, of the last podcast. And I, I mean, Jeff, I never thought we were. <laughs> were you like? No. Was that something you were worried no, about? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I got off there being like. That went pretty well. So, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, I think the so only it's thing... fine, everyone. So, yes, please. People, either A, do not worry Do not worry that we are breaking up, and B, I also hope you do not wish that we were breaking up now. So... Because <laughs> <laughs> they're just like, uh, this went on too long, they're too giggly. Uh, C-minus, they should break up. Delete your account. Graham, do you want to sing us out? Bye!